Hey guys, it's Erin. Thanks so much for listening to the Mother's Day special. Just a quick message before it begins. In the second part of this episode, I sat down with two of my three sisters to talk about their journeys in motherhood. We also had a conversation about our mom, who we lost in December. We want to dedicate this episode to her and to anyone out there who's missing their mom this Mother's Day. We're with you, you're not alone, and we're sending you love. Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is the Mother's Day special. Hey everyone, welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow's special Mother's Day episode. I took a bit of a break from recording the podcast for a few months uh, because I've been going through a bit of a difficult time in my life right now, which I will touch a little on throughout the episode, but I'm so happy to be back and return with an episode celebrating mothers. In this episode, I'll be interviewing different mothers, including my sisters. I'll also be talking about fun and interesting mother facts. I'm going to give you some song and movie suggestions to watch on Mother's Day. There will also be a giveaway in the middle of the episode for a $74 gift card, and I'll talk about the significance of that at that time. I'm even going to be digging deep into the history of Mother's Day, which I had no clue about before I did my research, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there like that, so it'll be fun to reveal those things and just talk about it. Yeah, so basically this episode is all things mom, (laughs) so let's get started. So I'm thrilled to start the episode off by talking to our first mom, our positive mom, Alina Fernandez. She is a single mom of four daughters and the creator of the award-winning blog, thepositivemom.com, which has inspired millions of moms in over 158 countries to turn their grief into positive growth. Born and raised in a slum in the Dominican Republic and a multiple-time survivor, Alina's mission is to provide moms with emotional wellness, skills, strategies, and steps to find peace, break unhealthy cycles, and feel whole. She holds a home and family study certificate from Brigham Young University, Idaho, and is a certified facilitator of Aroma Freedom, Mastery of Self-Love, The Passion Test, Dream Building, and The Success Principles. She's also a guerrilla marketing master trainer, as well as a graduate of the Steve Harvey School for Business Acceleration and the Steve Harvey School for Personal Transformation. Alina has been one of the top Latina influencers in the USA, has been sponsored by over 300 brands, and has been featured on major networks such as Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, and shows like Good Morning America, Entrepreneur on Fire, and many more. Alina is a Disney mom and a musical theater lover, and she's passionate about diversity, inclusion, and representation of all humans in the media. Her philosophy is be positive and you'll be powerful. So welcome to the show, Alina. I'm so excited to have you here. I am so honored to be here with you, Erin. Thank you for having me. It's just such a pleasure. Of course. And, you know, this is our special Mother's Day episode, so... You obviously are a very inspirational mother, and we're going to talk to you a little bit about your background and and about how you came to be where you are today, which is which is very very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So let's let's start with how it all began in your life. You were raised in the Dominican Republic. 
So what was life like for you as a child there and how did you make it to America? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) A long journey. Um, I actually have been in the U.S. for 20 years. So I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. And uh, the life in the slum is a very different life from what my children have experienced in the U.S. And I can tell you that without a doubt that really shaped my life. And it wasn't just that I had to wake up early in the morning, fetch water. I lived in a hut. I, you know, experienced a lot of poverty and it was just really a life where all your basic needs are not met in terms of what you think about the rights of being a child or what a child needs to experience to really have the developmental growth that they need to get. And to top it off, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family. So there was really a lot of sadness in my heart, a lot of anger in my heart, and a lot of questioning why did other children have what they needed in terms of protection, in terms of provision, and in terms of nurturing when I really didn't have that. So my childhood was very dark. And within that, there were also so many moments in which I experienced a lot of light and a lot of inspiration. And one of those moments happened when I was seven years old and my brother was five. I'm the oldest of uh, five children. And we had just come back from fetching water and we took a break to go to the dump. And that was a landfill that was right behind our home where we usually found treasures, snacks, (laughs) to be honest, and just really things that we could play with. And believe it or not, that's where my journey to the United States began because I found a magazine and it was in English. And in this magazine, the kids were so happy. They were so joyful. They they had what looked like to me very prosperous lives and very happy families, everything that I really wanted and needed. And I you know, turned to my brother and I said, oh my goodness, you know, in order to dress like that and be like that and, you know, have what they have, we definitely need to learn this language. And so, you know, at seven years old, I decided that I was going to learn English and it took me four years of saving up and being uh, an entrepreneur (laughs) uh, to actually save up to enroll myself in English lessons And uh, when I was 15, I was already teaching at the same center where I had learned it. And that really opened up, you know, being bilingual really opened a lot of doors. And eventually I was able to come to the U.S. as a, it's kind of like an exchange student. So spend the summers here from college. I went to college when I was 15. So even though... I lived in the slum. I also 
had parents who believed in education and I was able to be privileged enough to go to school and be a good student and open all those doors for myself. So, so yeah, that really um, is how I ended up here. <laughs> wow, what a story that is. That is so amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. It really shows like if you can dream it, you can do it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so when did you first become a mom? I know we might be jumping a little bit here, but when did you first become a mom and how old were you and what was that change like for you? Wow, yeah. So, you know, when I moved to the U.S., I was already married and my baby came to the world just, I conceived just shortly as, as after I be immigrated to the U.S. Um, and that was really interesting because being a mom is just such a beautiful experience that also brings so much fear and so much anxiety. You know, it's so beautiful. You feel, I felt on top of the world, uh, but I also had so many doubts, like, you know, was I going to be the kind of mom that I needed to be because I didn't really have that growing up and was I enough or did I know enough or did I have enough to share with this little girl you know I was 25 years old when she was born and it was just a joy and a privilege but it was also terrifying and and that was really crazy for me you know I was young and I thought you're either happy or sad. And I realized that we can have all those emotions at the same time. And it's interesting because my daughter, she's 19 now. And she, when she was leaving to college, I was feeling the same exact thing. Terrifying uh, moment for me, but also filled with pride and joy. So motherhood I think can be summed up as this just soup of emotions that happen to us at the same time and be, help us become more aware as to the range of feelings that we have as humans and we experience them with so much more intensity as mothers. That's it's definitely <laughs> everything you said is, is the perfect way to describe becoming a mom in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so how did becoming a mom inspire you to create the positive mom and was there something specific that triggered that inspiration to create such a wonderful platform to help other moms thank you for that and yes there was a specific moment and you know I would have loved to say oh you know I was just um, excited to help other people and you know something fun like that like I was just in the shower and had this great idea but I actually found this inspiration from a very dark moment I found myself really suicidal and on the fetal in the fetal position on the ground and just thinking I can't do this and it's when I became a single mom my oldest two, I have four daughters, as you said, and my old, my two oldest were one and two at that time. And they were toddlers and babies. And, and I just didn't know how I was going to really 
make it, I felt alone, you know, as an immigrant to this country, I didn't really have a lot of, uh, I, I would say, a support system that I had established for myself. And I would like, you know, our moms who are listening to think about this because I had this false idea and false belief that I I didn't want to ask for help and that I could do it all myself. And when I found myself in the situation, I was just feeling hopeless and helpless. And I was also feeling worthless, you know, thinking about why this happened uh, in my marriage and thinking that my marriage defined me or my marital status. And so I just had so many, so many feelings and all of them were dark. And and this comes from so much trauma that I have uh, endured in my life and not having the tools to process them. Even at that age, I was really in my 20s already, but I had never learned how to process those that trauma and how to really manage being triggered. And so I had an inspiration in that moment because I thought, you know, about a scripture that I really loved and then also about a movie that I had, you know, watched and I really loved. And all of these things were like messages that came to me in that moment. And going back to the magazine that I found, you know, I heard this still small voice within me say, you know, number one, you're not alone. Number two, you actually have the best, you know, you have your kids. So I moved to a place of gratitude. And number three, you can be positive and you will be powerful. And that was really a shift for me because I didn't know what that meant in that moment. And then I thought about that, the scripture, you know, and it was something about the Beatitudes. You can be and blessed are the people who are this. And they, they were, you know, very, very distinct qualities. And so I thought, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do but I know what I want to be. And so from that moment, I started making a to-be list every single day. That's my daily practice that I invite everyone to join me in because it shifted my perception as to, okay, that's something that I can manage. That's something that I'm in charge of. That's something that I can intentionally act toward. I had no to-do list about what someone does when, when they're homeless and abandoned with two children in a country that is new to me without having the support of my family and friends. But I know and I can decide consciously who I'm going to be in that process. And to wrap this thought off, what something that came to me is that I did never had that childhood that I saw in that magazine. And I had been angry about that laying on that ground floor, you know, and then I thought, you know what, that vision was not for me. That vision was the beginning of the journey for my children. Because here I was in the United States with children, and I could really 
consciously create this same feeling and that same prosperity and that same happy family for my kids. And that's really what what really inspired me. And once I got that nugget, I was like, oh my goodness, everyone needs to know this. And I'm really not at the place where I can be the expert of it, but I want to share my journey. And I want to really have that community and create that community that I don't have. So that's how it started. And, you know, I'm really happy that I listened. And and if you think about those two pivotal moments and many other moments that we're not going to cover today, the thread is listening to that inspiration that comes to us. And sometimes we dismiss. I have dismissed it so many times and then looked back and, and seen that when I do dismiss it, you know, I suffer. But when I listen to that intuition, to that inspiration, I am guided to beautiful paths that I didn't even think were possible for me to walk. Wow. So you really brought the light to the darkness when you have that moment of, you know, oh, I wish that was me. Why can't that be me? Or you actually, people just can either go one of two ways. They can be depressed and, and woe is me type of feeling. But it sounds like you just did the exact opposite and you turned that into something. You're like, well, why can't it be my children? You know? Yeah. I love that you mentioned that, Erin, because, you know, there are two types of what ifs. And that is truly the key. You know, I I had all of these what ifs, like what if we die, you know, in the streets wandering around and of starvation? And what if, you know, so many scenarios that my imagination went to? And then it's like, what if I could create this magazine lifestyle to my for my kids so really changing our what ifs and and switching them to not the outcome that we fear but the outcome that we want is really key to at least get started it's not going to shift everything i mean i didn't magically come up with money in my pocket or a place to live in that moment um however it got me started connecting to different a different source of ideas and possibilities that opened up that path for me right and you know it's funny i ha- i wear a bracelet that says can't have those what ifs in your life so <laughs> wow it's a quote inspired by uh, someone that touched my life but yeah i think that you described it perfectly it's like turning those what ifs into why nots you know yeah oh i love that brilliant <laughs> yeah Okay, so let's talk about The Positive Mom, your blog. How did Mm -hmm. The Positive Mom grow since its inception? And what are some of the opportunities that you've had to reach out to others since creating it? Why don't you talk about what you do on there and how you reach other people? Oh, thank you so much for asking that. You know, it's really humbling and it's something that's really emotional for me because I wanted to help moms and I really didn't know the power that that would create. I mean, I started my blog in 2004 when blogging wasn't really something that people knew about. It was just this kind of thing that you do, writing about your feelings and writing about your journey. So I had no idea that this would be so huge. And right now, The Positive Mom reaches 
over 160 countries. And just thinking about, you know, deciding to learn English when I was seven years old, that really was the path that opened that up for me. And I've been able to be a media that in both English and Spanish. So reaching all those moms worldwide has been just really humbling and uh, learning with them. Because, you know, one of the things that I know is that I'm teaching what I learn, but I'm also learning from all the moms that I reach. And usually the comments that I get on my blog are just so touching, so moving. And I think the main thing that I love is when I get those comments from people sharing their own story and learning from their stories and knowing that they know that they're not alone. So a lot of what I do, you know, I call myself a storyteller and actually, you know, that's what it's something that I've been doing since I have, you know, consciousness of, of who I am and telling stories is the main vehicle for healing our emotional wounds And so that's what I do with The Positive Mom. I I seek to inspire moms worldwide in all those countries that I'm reaching to learn from my story, but also to learn from their own stories because I believe that the answers are not going to be on my blog. You know, their answers are going to be sparked from my blog. When they read my blog, I want them to go deep and search the answers within themselves because that that is really where they are and whether you know i told you i it was a scripture verse and a movie line and you know and a memory from the past that sparked my intuition into creating this platform and so it wasn't anything that anyone else could give me it was all within me And so when we find ourselves in the darkness, just tuning into something to find answers within ourselves is really key. So that's that's what I want to do is to make sure that they have the stories, the skills, the strategies to move forward and to help them tell their own stories and connect with their own stories so that they can start that healing process. And One thing that I want to add to that is that a lot of times we think of trauma as something that is really huge. And I've been through those very hard and dark moments and experiences. However, we tend to discount our pain and motherhood in itself is a traumatic experience, a beautiful, exciting and just magical experience that also creates trauma, creates worry, creates anxiety. And in knowing that and acknowledging that, there's power because then we can process that. And there are two types of trauma, you know, the big T and the little T, the everyday things that pile up and that trigger us. And so when we process that, that's when we become a positive mom. So I'm not only giving moms affirmations and quotes, which I do, and those are great, but really the ability and the permission to go within and find what's broken and heal that and really give yourself permission to recover from it. I love that. 
all the answers are within yourself. You just have to find something that triggers it, like you said, to come out and, and yeah. realize and heal. Yeah, I've done a lot of healing work myself too. And, and that's exactly what it is. It's it's always already in there. It's just a matter of bringing it out and finding out what's broken. So that was beautifully described. Thank you so much. Yes, and I want to say, Erin, you know, that's what you're doing with your work is also triggering that and, and giving people a platform to to really find commonality in other people's stories. So I, I want to thank you for that and, and honor you for it. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. That's what I'm trying to do. I always say the, um, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast, it's a fairly new podcast, but, you know, I have high hopes for it. So the whole purpose of it is just to inform and inspire people. And I bring all kinds of people on here, you know, from all different backgrounds to learn about all different things because I believe we can learn something from everyone. So yes, thank you so much for saying that. You talked a little bit about how you are you are a single mom. When did that happen? And um, can you talk more about how you made that transformation from, you know, being married to being a single mom and and how that affected your life a little bit with your kids? Wow, you know, the beauty and the I think the interesting part of this is that I've, I'm a single mom twice. Um, the first time was in 2004 when my daughters were one and two and their names are Alicia and Alyssa. And so we really had this beautiful unit, you know, just the three of us. I started to heal. I started to reach out. I started to share my story um, as soon as I became a single mom. And not only that, but also to monetize that platform so it could also create success financially in our lives. So we had a very, really, I would say, just magical experience for a little bit there. And then it truly um, was shattered when I was diagnosed with cancer. That really took a toll. And what I learned from that is that I've always been focused on your children are first. And you need to work hard to compensate, you know, being the parent that they don't have. And so that idea of being mom and dad, you know, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's, it's really um, a very inaccurate way to describe single motherhood uh, because you really cannot be both roles. You really cannot fulfill both roles because you, you really are not designed to, but you'll, it also is designed in a different way for a reason. So I'm going to preface with that, but I'm also going to say that if you put self-care and self-compassion in place, then you can really function in a way that's really beneficial for yourself and for your children. And so that I learned that with my illness because here I was trying to overperform trying to shelter my children from everything and to give to overcompensate and to have, you know, really what I was thinking was perfection uh, more than protection. And so I fell into that trap and 
really neglected my health and it backfired on me. So that was the first thing that I learned in that journey. And as I was able to heal and being in remission for many years, thank goodness, you know, since 2009, I, I learned to prioritize my health and to put myself first and to really give from a place of generosity, from a place of consciousness. So I want to really recommend and, and really encourage our moms who are listening to to really ditch the <laughs> the lie that the kids are first because the kids cannot really get anything from you if you are depleted. So that was the first thing that I learned as a single mom and also reaching out for help. You know, I didn't know emotionally how to handle really talking to my kids about where their dad was or if he was coming back or why this was happening and really finding that help, that counseling and reading books and reaching out to experts and finding out what were the steps that I was going to take. And, And again, going back to that was information that triggered inspiration because then at the end of the day, I had to come to myself and see what served me, what was in alignment with what I wanted and what the vision that I had for my family and what really would work for me. So it's not, you know, just finding reputable sources, but also sources that align with yourself and with the highest wisdom that we all have. Um, the second time uh, was very recent And actually, you know, I got remarried when, let's see, my kids were 10 and 9, I want to believe. I was single for eight years. And then I got remarried. And and that was very an, a very enlightening for me. It was an awakening because you you know when I was telling you, Erin, that I hadn't really processed my trauma and I hadn't really really gone deep within and seen how this was affecting me and what kind of beliefs I was operating under. I had to really learn that with my second marriage and seeing how that ended and what kind, you know, it's like I married the same person twice. <laughs> and uh, and it's like you have to wonder in that moment, like, okay, what is, what is operating within me? Not from a place of guilt or shame, uh, not from a place of blame, but from, from a, a place of self-inquiry. It's like, you know, if you put your hand on the stove and you didn't know the burner was on is one thing. Uh, But then you want to investigate next time, you know, is the burner on before I put my hand on it? (laughs) Um, So it teaches you something. And it, it was humbling because I thought I was aware of, of the kind of things that I wanted and how I wanted to operate in a relationship and, um, and why I was, attracting not the same exact thing, but the same exact pattern. And so that marriage um, had a lot of um, components of addiction and different things that were not safe for myself or my daughters. And so 
um, when I decided to end that relationship, it was um, very hard and also very liberating for me to, to realize, you know, I can choose better. I can choose myself. I can sh- shine a light into what led me to make these choices um, and not know the red flags that were already there the whole time. So I've become more aware and this has helped me bring that up to my daughters. You know, one of the things that I want to do is help myself and others break cycles, break negative patterns that keep us, I, I would say, shattered and really enslaved to to limiting beliefs that don't serve us. And so I've been learning, you know, the things that I didn't see and why I didn't see them and how I couldn't possibly have seen them. So it's a, a process that have brought a lot of self-compassion for my, I would call it, you know, just innocence because uh, some people, some other people would call it ignorance, but I think is is the innocent part of us who is still a, a wounded child that's really innocent and doesn't know how they're manifesting or attracting something else. So being a single mom now is very empowering for me. I love being single. It's the first time in my life where I feel just so happy being on my own and um, teaching my daughters what happened and how I perceive things so that they can be aware, but also you know, teaching my my moms, I call them my moms, <laughs> my moms worldwide, uh, how, you know, all, all of those things that I'm seeing now, it's sad that my daughters don't really have an involved dad in their lives. But also, it is a beautiful experience that I can open myself up to talk about these things with them, and that they can learn uh, from those lessons. I wouldn't call them mistakes. Because they, even though they didn't get the outcome that I wanted, maybe the happily ever after, they, the outcome that I received is really serving me, which is, you know, breaking those cycles and shining a light to what I didn't know was there and hopefully breaking those cycles of generational trauma and creating awareness. I've always heard that too, where, you know, life will bring you the same thing over and over again, those cycles until you pay attention and break them. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. And you pass it on, you know, which is why this is my journey. You know, I, I, sometimes it's really something that you resist, you know, because I, I know I grew up in a very different way than my children have grown up. And, um, I've experienced things that are just really sad. And, and I knew, from the beginning that I did not want my children to go through those things. And, and thankfully many of them have, have not happened. And yet there are unconscious things that we pass on unconscious beliefs, unconscious choices, unconscious tendencies. And even through epigenetics, like genetically, we are passing on trauma responses to our children. So until we own it and bring it to light, and I'm still not done. And, you know, it's like an onion. I'm still peeling the layers. Um, until we own this and shed a light 
into it, we definitely cannot break it. So um, that's why I call myself a student of pain. I'm, I'm studying every painful situation that happens to me so that I can understand deeper how I can, how it can end with me. Can you think of one of your proudest moments as a mom? Wow. (laughs) So many proud moments. It's it's hard, but uh, let's see. I think it's beautiful when my daughter, I was talking to her recently, and when she was eight years old, she was in a private school, and she was bullied. And I could notice that some things were wrong with her, she was not the same. And she's, I mean, my, my kids are just, I can't even say how brilliant and bright and, and bubbly and vibrant they are. And um, I think all children are, uh, you know, and some are given permission to express this and express it and some aren't, you know. And so after she was bullied, her and her sister decided to write a book and publish it called I Love Me, and they published this book in 60 days. Well, actually, it was less than 60 days. They had a New York house publish it. They received an advance. They became best-selling authors <laughs> at 9 and 10, and, and they were speaking and partnering with brands, you know, that brands that were sponsoring them to speak um, in youth and children organizations. And it wasn't so much about the book. It was more about the passion that they had to help other kids. And this is where it came from. It came from after we had, you know, I dropped everything that I was doing, started homeschooling. And, uh, you know, that was some that was their idea. I was really not <laughs> thinking that I would ever homeschool. Um, but I listen to my children and, and I want to do what works for them. And so from that came the realization that they had. And they said, Mom, you know, I feel happier. I feel that I'm healing. Um, and then I think about those kids that don't have the opportunity to have a mom that can, number one, pay attention. Number two, have the courage to break cycles and number three and of course that's not how they said it but and number three to you know homeschool and work from home and be an entrepreneur and so they started thinking you know identifying those children that they knew who if something happened to them their moms didn't have the means or the the opportunity to do that for them because it took a lot of time and it took a lot of changing and rearranging our lifestyle to really dedicate time to that healing and to that process. And so I love that from my kids, that they were able to take that situation and step outside of themselves and and think of other children and think about what repercussions there are to bullying and also to feeling emotional pain as a child, uh, going through a traumatic experience as a child. And I was talking to my now 19-year-old. She's in college, and she lives a 1,000 miles away, which I'm still not over. (laughs) But um, 
she was saying, mom, that was such a pivotal moment for me. And it changed the trajectory of my life. And I was in shock. And I asked why. And she said, well, you know, I was afraid of talking to you before that moment. And I thought that you were going to maybe judge me and say that I was weak or maybe invalidate me and tell me to be strong. And you didn't do any of those things that I imagined you doing because you're always so, you know, moving forward and so strong. But what you did was listen to me. What you did was embrace me. What you did was cry and break down with me. And so that really gave me permission to just own my emotions and to really be honest with them. And I was, you know, really, I was in tears when she was sharing that. And also just grateful, grateful that, that we had that experience and grateful that, that she's, she's felt that way, but also that she identified and broke down, down for me so that I could share it with other moms because I, I really didn't even know what I was doing. It wasn't like I had a three-step system. <laughs> you know, it was just I'm in shock and I'm in pain that my little girl is going through something so hard. And, you know, it's been a, a, a healing process for her, obviously. This is these kind of things are, are very, uh, lo have long-term consequences. And yet, when she really thinks about it, it's like it really opened up so much healing for her. And also the way that she shows up when there's a hard or a difficult moment is different for her. Um, and she also wants to help other people. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that'll help a lot of, you know, moms who have to deal with similar things with their kids because it can be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not only, it doesn't even have to be bullying. It, it could be that they're crushed like somebody else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or it could be that, you know, another little kid didn't share their truck with with them, you know, or a toy or or something. It's just about validating our kids' pain. And uh, one thing that, that is banned from my vocabulary is don't cry. <laughs> I always try to, you know, think about other ways to encourage strength. But I say, you know what, I... I would be crying too if my feelings with were hurt. And sometimes crying is appropriate, you know, and sometimes crying is not appropriate. And it's because we cry when there when there's an emotional response or a physical response. We don't cry to get things, you know. So so just really breaking it down in a way that they understand when, when crying is, is an appropriate response because m many times it is. So it's not just bullying, but anything that really triggers that child to feel pain, to feel anxiety, or to feel fear. I love that. So don't cry. It's out of your vocabulary. That's perfect advice. <laughs> it's because our feelings, we are. We're human. We have emotions. I mean, that's completely normal. And so many people try to hide it, you know, and it's, yes. it's not good for your health. It's, yeah, it's just, you got to feel to get through it. Yeah. You know, it, it, if you're not sharing it, you're storing it mm -hmm. and it shows up in so many ways. 
and and that's definitely contributed to my diagnosis because um, I was storing everything and just trying to be very, very strong and very perfect. And, you know, just, I, I think, faking it till I made it, like they say, but, you know, that's, that's really not helpful. And, and when I was, when I've been real with my kids and letting them know that I have those emotions and joining in their pain is when we've bonded in those moments of vulnerability, but also we've really understood each other and created a safe haven for each other and also prevented all of that being stored in our bodies and manifesting in disease or in discomfort. Exactly. You know, you can try to brush your feelings away, but it's going to come out in one way or another, even if it's in disguise, you know, it'll, it's always from the same place. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the book. Is is the book still available for any parents who might want to get it out there? Yeah. Yeah. It's on every bookstore and on Amazon as well. It's called I Love Me. I Love Self-Esteem me. in Seven Easing Steps. That's amazing. I will put that in the description for this episode. Thank you. You mentioned, you know, you're talking all about you being a mom, but I wanted to ask, what was your relationship like with your own mom? And how did that influence you being a mom? Woof. (laughs) (laughs) My relationship with my own mom was uh, really, I would say, enlightening in a terrible way. (laughs) There was a lot of violence, a lot of harsh words and phrases, a lot of misunderstanding, you know, that really shaped me. And because I really know what it's like to, to have a traumatized mother, you know, um, and a triggered mother. And that really shaped my motherhood in that I, I know how a child feels when they are spoken you know, in words that are unkind and, and when you're projecting your own pain onto the child. And so um, actually for many years, I didn't want to become a mom because I was terrified that I, that I would, that I had that in me, you know, and it was really difficult for me to forgive my mom it was a long process for me, especially because my belief as a, you know, as a young girl was that, uh, you know, I needed to be asked for forgiveness or I needed to see a change or I needed to, you know, there were, there, it was a conditional forgiveness. And I had so much anger uh, in me and so much pain and so much that I wanted to see and to receive from my mom. And so it was painful. It was very painful. And everything that I went through was really hard and really difficult. And yet, you know, now I I look at it because I had no idea that she had gone through pain. I had no idea that what she was doing and saying was out of her own 
pain and and that's how you know it i'm can't remember who said this but one of my favorite phrases is that pain that is not transformed is transmitted and that really sums that up this is why i share my story so freely and why i process my pain and why my daughters i always shared and and still do because i have two little ones too you know one is eight and one is two and so i share when i'm having a hard day so that we can all have compassion for one another and so that we don't take things personally but also so that if if there is a moment in which i need to take time to process something that they understand that even even as as little as two children are so intuitive they are so connected they are so compassionate and they get it you know and i think we forget that they're wise human beings and that they really they really want the best for mom too you know um i learned so much from my children but um i think that's those are things that i learned from my mom is is to to be cautious and conscious with my words and how i communicate with my children so that they understand where it's coming from um also i learned to give them a voice you know and i think that's not just something that was part of my relationship with my mom it's part of my relationship with my entire family and culture and community um children are not seen you know not heard they're just seen and um adults are always right and and they're you know age is what brings wisdom to people and things like that 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 are ageist uh concepts of 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 wisdom and so i learned also what it's like to not process your trauma as a mother and how that affects your children and you know now i see my mom and I, we have such a beautiful relationship and she is the most loving and sweetest grandmother in the planet you know she's so supportive of me and my work um i i'm getting teary just talking about it because this is something that i never even thought would be possible and it started with i i want to share that even though i wanted you know the whole show of like her changing into this and her saying this and her doing this you know all of this the delusional conditions i had for forgiveness it was never enough <laughs> for me you know if if she said something i would find a way to think like oh she didn't really mean it or that's not exactly what she needed to say or if she changed in a way i was suspicious that maybe wasn't sincere i mean it, it, when you have conditional forgiveness for someone it doesn't ever work you can never get yourself to a place of seeing the whole human and so it wasn't until i decided to give you know unconditional forgiveness to her um that it worked so it's a it's a work that started with me and ended with me 
to decide to decide to open my heart again to my mother to see her for the beautiful person that she is to see the you know the sacrifices that she made to see the the way in which she tried and and also you know to see her pain to study her pain to to see that that she couldn't have done anything different than what she did and that her example can help me to heal myself so that my impact is different so that I can be you know the mother that that I think she should have been which is really interesting because I never would have it, it, it would have never being something that I would have thought when I was growing up and 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 even after I had my children it wasn't something that just came with becoming a mom it came with really opening my heart to to see my mom as the human that she is and not as some perfect person that she had to be that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that as you just touched on, you um, you focus on positivity and times of grief and struggle. So I actually just lost my mom um, four months ago. So I'm still trying to navigate through that. So what advice mm. would you give to people who, you know, are going through grief, losing their mom, or even have estranged relationships with their moms? What would you say to them? Oof, oh, wow. I just want to hug you right now. Oh, thank mm. you. You know, I I can feel your sadness in sharing that, and and I honor that. You know, that's that's really something that I think is indescribable when we go through grief, and it doesn't matter what kind of grief, because I always say that pain is the common thread of humanity. You know, um, when we connect to the loss. There are different stages of grief that, you know, I'm thinking that you are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her whole model of grief and the stages of grief, how you first you're in shock and denial, and then you are angry when you really, you know, come to terms that something happened and you're really depressed and sad. Then there's the bargaining where you want to negotiate with what's happened or maybe just make it different. And then there's also the acceptance. And so I would say my main advice, and it's, you know, I don't like that word too much (laughs) because it's really just um, consideration, something to consider. Um, Because again, I want you to go deep within yourself to find the, the actual advice that you would give yourself after you hear this thought. And it's, you know, Allow yourself to go through those stages. Allow yourself to be angry. Anger is such a useful, useful emotion that gets a bad rap, you know, and and it really um, is important to express it and not store it because when it's stored as resentment, it is really something that can be very harmful for our organs in in our body. So that's number one, you know, if you want to prevent disease or illness, really allow yourself to feel your anger. Um, And 
I think that we are not angry enough. <laughs> and that sounds crazy when it comes from the positive mom, right? But I think that positivity can get misunderstood. Positivity is not never being angry or never being sad or never being depressed or, you know, don't get me started on being a victim. We could talk about that part for uh, hours and hours because, you know, it is victimhood. It is, you know, you went through something that wounded you, that hurt you, and, and you can allow yourself to to feel that way, to feel, you know, that something isn't fair, to feel that something isn't good, to feel that something is hard. Allowing yourself to feel all of that is what being positive is all about, not about suppressing it. Because when you process it and feel it and, and honor yourself and say, you know what, this is a hard moment. I just want to lay in bed and put the covers over my head. And I'm, you know, obviously, you know, if you're not neglecting anyone, I have to <laughs> make that caveat there. But we all need recovery time when we're grieving. And so I have a process that I call emotional wholeness, where the three steps are, you know, emotional literacy. And that means that you're going to know what what you're feeling. You're going to get in tune in your body, in your spirit, in in your soul. You know what? Right now, I, I lost this relationship and I feel angry. This is, you know, I'm going to go to the bottom of this and and say, you know what? This is what angers me. So really understanding that the diagnosis, you know, what is going on with you, with you and how are you feeling and, and how is this showing up in your body? Then there's the recovery process. You can't just pick up and do things as, as normal. You know, it's, I think the pandemic was a symbolism for that, you know, just when things are going in a way that was unexpected, when you are wounded, you need some downtime. And so allowing yourself to do that. And and when I say downtime, I mean, I've been a single mom of toddlers, Irish twin toddlers, you know, I know that sometimes five minutes is a long time for, uh, for ourselves. Uh, if we get five minutes, we're lucky. But even in two minutes, you know, um, Jill Bolted, uh, says that we only need 90 seconds to process an emotion. So in two minutes, you can take 30 seconds, acknowledge what you're feeling, you know, just stay still for 30 seconds, and then take 90 seconds to let it ride and to let it feel. So it's not something that we we don't need to go to the gym. We don't need to, you know, go to the spa. We don't need to a bubble bath to to process our emotions we just need two minutes of stillness within ourselves whether we're you know obviously not driving but (laughs) but if we're anywhere we may be just to close our eyes and check in and honor that and say you know what what i'm going through warrants my being sad what i'm going through warrants my being angry what i'm going through warrants my being uh, you know just experiencing this denial and just honoring that it's going to be the positive way to handle your emotions. Because when you do that, 
then you are connecting with a part of your brain that will give you solutions that are different than, you know, being angry and hitting people, being angry and breaking things, being angry. You're just angry and processing. So that does that sound like the answer <laughs> to the question? I get just so excited when when I'm talking about this. Oh my gosh, yes, that's that's extremely helpful. <laughs> that's a beautiful way to put it too. I love the way you describe things. It's very easy to listen to you, and and you don't feel like you're being told to do things. It's more like you're, you know what I mean. It's your, it's just comforting. I don't know. It's just comforting to to hear the way you describe things, and I think that'll help a lot of people out there. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. If you could say anything to someone who's about to become a mom, whether they're giving birth, adopting, and they're about to embark on this motherhood journey, what would you say to them to really inspire them? I mean, your whole platform is doing that, but just if you could only say just one thing to them, what would you say? Wow. Um, I think, you know, what I would say is take the time to really honor how you're feeling. And that means that you're going to connect with yourself and listen to yourself. So, you know, whether you're feeling joy, whether you're feeling sadness, whether you're feeling anger, when you connect to that, then you access the wisdom within you for the next step. And that's that's really, truly the main thing is that you are in tune with your wisdom because your wisdom is going to bring you boundaries that you need to set, steps that you need to take, you know, things that definitely you need to avoid, people that are going to support you. And I think that that's, uh, that has been the biggest enlightenment for me in motherhood because many times when I became a young mother, I wanted to please other people in the choices that they wanted me to make. Throughout that journey, it has taken a lot of courage to stand up for what I believe in and to listen to my higher wisdom to to really understand that my path is different from somebody else. So if you're about to become a mother, then that is really what will serve you is to understand that this child, whether the child chose you or you chose them, (laughs) you know, this child is yours for a purpose. And this child is in your care, in your, in your, in your path for a purpose to teach you and to learn from you, to nurture you and to be nurtured by you, to love you and to be loved by you. And that bond and that relationship is going to be different with every child. And it's definitely something that is between you and that child. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that I don't listen to, to what other people say. I'm going to say is that I say, wow, thank you for sharing that. I'll consider it. And then I will consider it. And I will think about it. And then I will either act on it if it resonates with my intuition uh, or my mom's sense. And I will, you know, reject it if it doesn't. 
So listening to people and their advice is really great. But again, there there's a, a thankfulness that comes with, wow, you know, I'm really grateful that you want to help me and that you want to guide me. And I'll consider that I can't really promise that I will implement it. And because this is between my child and myself. And as they grow, you know, giving them that autonomy, um, of course, you know, I'm a single mom, so definitely it, it's between your child, your partner, and yourself if you have a partner. So I want to say that real quickly. But um, as the children grow and, and develop their own voices, then you want to definitely, you know, ask them. I ask my children, uh, you know, every, every time we have uh, what I call a family meeting is, do you feel loved by me? Do you feel appreciated? You know, from a zero to 10, how happy are you with how I perform this week? <laughs> and if it's not a 10, like, what would that, what would that look like? What would make it a 10? Uh, they know, uh, you know, if, if you're going to rate your parenting based on somebody else, then that's a good, a good source. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Wonderful. So we're going to wrap it up, but um, I want to thank you so much again. Before we go, I want to let people know where they can find you on, you know, the internet, if you want to give them your website and, or social media, whatever you want to give. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would love to connect. My blog is thepositivemom.com. And I'm also on any social platform at The Positive Mom. I'm really accessible. So I, I always love to connect with people from all over the world and whether it's in English or in Spanish and also in Italian. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So um, I want to wish you a very happy Mother's Day, Alina. Um, do you have any plans for Mother's Day this year? Thank you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. And well, my plan is to just enjoy my children, you know, enjoy. They they usually use their talents. Uh, we don't do a lot of gifts. We do a lot of talents and experiences. And so they use their talents and put on a show or make something for me and to just be present with them and experience it because, you know, we get 18 Mother's Days with our children at home. <laughs> and so that is something precious that I want to definitely be present for and and to soak it in. The, the stages are so different. You know, being a mom of a 19-year-old now, an 18-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old, it's, it's all precious, but it's also different. And you find yourself missing those stages. But if you really were present for it, then you don't have any regrets. That's a wonderful way to end it. So thank you so much again for, for agreeing to do this and for telling us your story. I think this is a perfect, perfect interview for this episode. So yeah, thank you for being here. I appreciate it so much, Erin. And thank you, everybody. Just a note. In this half of the Mother's Day special, I sat down with two of my three sisters to talk about their journeys in motherhood. Due to limited recording capabilities, the quality isn't the best, but I promise you the conversation is still endearing. I hope you enjoy. I'm so happy to have with me two mothers who are closest to me in my life. My two older sisters, Debbie and Dawn, 
I asked them to be on this episode because I wanted to celebrate them as mothers. And I wanted them also to talk about their experience with motherhood and hopefully inspire and inform other mothers out there. I also wanted them to be on this episode because as some of you know, um, our mom passed away in December and we've been trying to help each other get through that. And I just wanted to use this episode as a way to celebrate her and honor her and remember her. So thank you guys so much for being on this episode with me. Why don't you start by introducing yourselves and telling everyone how many kids you have and their names? Okay, well, my name is Debbie, and I have four children, the oldest being 39, going to be 39. That's Kayla. Then I have Christopher, who is going to be 36. And then we have Zoe, who is 26, and Autumn is the baby, and she is 22. My name is Dawn, and I have two daughters, Courtney, who is 37, and Tara, who is 31. And I also want to give a shout out to our other sister, BJ, Barbara Jean. Uh, She couldn't be here today, but she is also a mother, and she has two kids, Corinne and Ben. So I thought it would be fun before we get into your interview, guys to kind of look back at the history of Mother's Day and talk about how it came to be in the U.S. So this information I'm about to read is from history.com. And it says the American incarnation of Mother's Day in the United States was created by Anna Jarvis in 1908. It became an official U.S. holiday in 1914. So Anna, uh, her mother was Anne Reeves Jarvis. And her mother was a social activist who had frequently expressed a desire for the establishment of such a holiday to celebrate mothers. And after um, her death, Anna led the movement for the holiday. And through support and a successful Mother's Day celebration at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia, she succeeded in making it a national holiday. So this, you know, woman who wasn't really famous or anything, she just wanted to celebrate her mother and and, uh, fulfill her mother's wishes after she died. She started this movement. Her movement started in West Virginia, but then people all over supported her and it got so big that it became Mother's Day. The thing with Anna, though, is that even though she started Mother's Day, she would later denounce the holiday because she didn't like how it was commercialized. And she spent the latter part of her life trying to remove it from the calendar. She never got to do that. And ironically, she never had children of her own before her death in 1948. So uh, that's interesting. And for those who don't know, Mother's Day in the US is always celebrated on the second Sunday of May. It's also celebrated on this day in many other countries, including Australia, China, Denmark, the Netherlands, Switzerland, just to name a few. It's celebrated on various other dates for some other countries for various reasons. So one example is in the UK, they connect Mother's Day to Easter and they celebrate it on the fourth Sunday of Lent, which happened to be March 27th this year. In Thailand, they celebrate Mother's Day on their Queen's birthday, which is in August. Now I'm going to go into interesting facts about mothers. These are from various sources, including Smithsonian Magazine and other sources like LiveScience.com and Town and Country Magazine. 
So the first fact I have is most mothers tend to cradle their babies on the left side of their body in the early months. Now it says regardless of whether they're left or right-handed, human moms tend to cradle their babies on the left side of their bodies, especially in the early months. This left-handed bias likely has to do with the human brain's lopsided layout. So sensory information on the left side of the body is processed on the right side of the brain. So the brain's right hemisphere is also where emotions are processed. So holding and observing the baby on the left may help transmit social information to the right side more efficiently. Interesting stuff. That's true. Yeah. You heard that before? Yes. Oh, I never. I love it. I love it. And you know, when I had my kids and I had held them, I always held them to the left. It just felt more comfortable that way. That's so interesting. that's why that you say that. Yeah. I guess it's so, true then. It, <laughs> it definitely is true. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely true. Cause I do the same thing with my brand new grandson. Wow. Yeah. All right, cool. The second fact is as of 2021, there are roughly 82.5 million mothers in the United States, more than 2 billion worldwide, and approximately 4.3 babies are born every second. About 2% of those U.S. mothers have adopted their children. The third fact is the longest pregnancy ever recorded lasted 375 days, nearly 100 days longer than a normal pregnancy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> The fourth fact is the youngest mother in recorded history was just five years old and seven months uh, when she gave birth to a 6.5 pound baby boy by cesarean section in Peru in 1939. That is insane. God, I can imagine something like that. (laughs) Wow. A five-year-old? Yep. Five years old. Wow. She must be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. She's a baby herself, for heaven's sake. How is that even possible? I'm going to have to look more into that one. All right, number five. Typically, the first sound a baby vocalizes is the ma sound. So it makes sense that in almost every language, the word for mother begins with the letter M or is some form of the ma sound. Hmm. Number six. Every female fetus, including your mother, developed all the eggs she will ever have while as a fetus herself, still inside of her own mom. Because one of those eggs ultimately developed into you, this means you started your life inside of your grandmother. Oh, wow. This is interesting. I just read something like that recently. Really? I was telling my granddaughter about it. Okay. Number seven, studies show the fetal heart races faster when hearing its mother's voice versus a stranger's voice. A mother's voice also eases older children's stress just as much as a real life hug. The sound of mom's voice lowers a child's stress hormone and raises their level of a hormone linked with love and bonding. Approximately 122 million calls are made on Mother's Day. So now you know why everyone wants to hear their mom's voice. (laughs) Yeah. Can I understand that? Mm -hmm. Number eight, carnations have a special connection to mothers. Anna Reeves Jarvis used the carnation on Mother's Day to symbolize whether your mother was living. A red carnation meant she was, and a white meant she had passed. Number nine, this one is crazy. Moms may carry little pieces of their children with them for years to come. It's called microchimerism. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but microchimerism, chimerism? 
and that's when the placenta separates the blood flow of the mom and the baby. But a handful of fetal cells cross this barrier and they actually lodge in mom's body. So scientists have found that these cells can persist for years or even decades inside the mom's body after giving birth. The role of these cells, if any, remains mysterious, but a 2012 study found that DNA from a child's cells could even end up in their mom's brain. Wow, that's that's something, huh? That is amazing. Mm-hmm. We literally might have, like our mom literally might have had pieces of us in her still. That's yes. crazy. That is. Yeah. That's, that's probably why mothers and daughters and their children, their children have such a bond. Yeah, and the mother's intuition and all that. Yeah, yep. Okay, guys, now we're going to talk to Debbie and Dawn about being a mother and their own experiences with motherhood. Now, I'm excited for this because there are some questions that I don't even know the answers to. (laughs) So like many of the listeners, I'm going to be hearing these answers for the first time as well. So let's start off and talk about the age you guys were when you first became mothers and what were your initial reactions to becoming a mom and being pregnant first and then becoming a mom and was the pregnancy planned do you remember um were you nervous scared excited a mixture did you think you could handle it all those things first of all I was 19 when I got pregnant And I was 19 when I had my first child, my daughter, but I was 27 days later. And when I first found out that I was pregnant, I was very scared and very nervous. And as I went along and as my belly grew bigger, I started to get more and more scared (laughs) of how this baby is supposed to come out of me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I enjoyed being pregnant. It was just like the very first time was very um, just a learning process along the way. And then, like you said, motherly instinct and all of that is all like, it all makes sense now. When you're pregnant, you feel the baby, you already feel a bond with your baby, even though your baby's not born yet, you know, but you feel like um, you feel the baby's, you know, or you hear the baby's heartbeat, baby kicks, and the baby gets stronger as the baby gets bigger. And you already love your baby before your baby is even born. I mean, the the minute you find out you're pregnant, you already love your baby. So yeah, uh, it was um, just an amazing thing to go through. I didn't think that I could do it, but I did it. And then after the first one, I said, I'll never do that again. (laughs) Because (laughs) of the pain, the pain and all that. But um, and then Obviously, I had three more after that. But um, yeah, I, I did enjoy becoming a mom. It was just just amazing. Something that is the most important thing that ever happened to me. Was Kayla planned? If you want to share that. Um, she wasn't planned. Um, she wasn't an accident, but she wasn't planned. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't like to say that or a mistake or, you know, some, some people say that. But no, she wasn't planned. It was just... Um, was I ready? I wasn't ready, but I, as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, I was, I was immediately ready because <laughs> right. now I had to do what I had to do. And, um, I was kind of happy. And at first I was kind of shocked. First I was shocked. Then I said, well, I have to make the best of it because it, it happened. Then as I went along, I got happier and happier and happier and was, was happy that I was pregnant. That makes sense. This is kind of like if it happens, it happens. And then it happened. And you're like, all right, time to prepare. (laughs) Right, right. I had to prepare. And 
but of course, after you're, you know, after a couple of months goes by, you're like, you start to be thrilled and it's, there's no regrets. Right. And she was a big baby and eight pounds and even, (laughs) and uh, she was um, bigger than I thought she'd be. Um, And everyone said I was going to have a boy, but I had a girl. So I was shocked because everybody said a boy. I just assumed I was going to have a boy. But in the last second, back in those days, we didn't do the, um, the test where you see if you're going to have a girl or a boy. They didn't do that back then. Oh, really? 39 years ago. Yeah. So um, 39 years ago, it was, uh, you know, you have to wait until um, you have the baby to find out if you're having a boy or a girl. So I was just hearing so much boy, 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 that I just assumed that I was having a boy. And then when, when I had my daughter, I was like, the doctor said, it's a girl. And I said, a what? (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy it was a girl, but I thought it was going to be a boy. (laughs) So yeah, so it was, it was exciting. The first baby is always, it's your first experience. So it was very scary. It was very painful, but it was nothing like it just a bond that you you just can't explain it's just you know like you become mama bear the second the baby's born you're like overwhelmingly protective and it's it's crazy (laughs) it's just crazy yeah yeah dawn what about you well i was 18 years old when i had my firstborn it's a funny story kind of (laughs) i was going uh i got married And I was on my honeymoon and a few months later, I was going to pick up my wedding pitches and um, I had my mom with me also with my husband and I kind of got dizzy and I fell against the car and my mom says, you're pregnant. And I said, what? I am not pregnant. I'm waiting five years. I'm 18. I just got married and it. Well, I was pregnant. So I ended up very nervous. Like Deb says, you're scared. You don't know what to expect. And I feel like because I was so young that I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, if I can be a good mom. Uh, as time goes on, you deal with it. You, you ask your mom to help you with questions. You ask her how things happen. She gives you, you know, some advice and it helps you. And you, um, the baby grows, the baby kicks, you hear the heartbeat. It's all, it's a very, very exciting time when that happens. And then you just, you do um, the pain. I remember going into um, labor and I remember hearing other girls um, in the other rooms in, in pain and screaming. And it made me very nervous. And um, they, the doctor was saying, well, they are in hard labor. You're not. Well, who had their baby first? I did. So I just, um, and it's, um, and when that, yes, I had the baby before they did. And, um, it's just that when that baby's born, it's like, they say you forget that pain. Um, you don't forget the pain, but you do, um, it's all well worth it. And it's just a feeling that's hard to describe, but the first time as a mom is just like Debbie said, amazing. Cool. So what was most surprising to you guys about becoming a mom? And what was the hardest part and the easiest part? I'm going to say the hardest part was just the, the, the part of not knowing because it was a first, first pregnancy, everything. Um, first time, you know, it was actually a first time being a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was all new. After you get used to everything, it, it, everything seems to fall into place. It's just that when it anything that's the first time for things is more nerve wracking. (laughs) The best part of it was just the outcome. The part of being a mom was that was surprising because I didn't expect to be a mom so young. I mean, it wasn't 
that young, but it was still young. I did get married and all of that. So that all worked out good. But the scariest part was just that, you know, I, it wasn't planned. So it was kind of like, um, like Dawn kind of said, you know, oh, I'm going to wait five years, you know, and, and that didn't happen. And then, you know, of course, telling your mom, telling your mom <laughs> that you're pregnant, that was kind of, you know, not the fun part it worked out. It wasn't bad, but it's just that you kind of feel like you're going to disappoint your mom if you're pregnant and you're so young, you know, but she was very good with it and was very nurturing as a mom, as, you know, as I am to my kids today. I believe we learn how to be a parent from our parents, from our moms. I mean, we mother our children like, you know, like our mother uh, nurtured us. We nurture our children. Um, And that can go either in good ways or bad ways, you know, for different people. Um, Luckily, it was good for us. We had a mom who loved us and, and we love our children just as well. But yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) I, my surprising part was how you could instantly fall in love with your child um, so fast. Like as soon as you see that baby, you are totally in love with that baby. And um, uh, my hardest part, as you all probably know, was the lack of sleep that I got. Because Courtney, my oldest born, did not sleep till she was five years old. Oh my gosh. So I was, so I was up all night. And I even went to the doctors and I said, something is wrong. She won't sleep. No, you have that child that don't require much sleep. And I tell you, she was five years old because it was her first day of kindergarten. And that is how I remember it. So I got, I mean, it was, that was the hardest, hardest part for me. But other than that, everything like Deborah just said, everything works out and you learn to, you know, how to deal with different things in different ways. And every child's different. So that's, um, that's what happens. Yeah. So the lack of sleep. Oh, lack <laughs> of sleep. Yes. That's probably why today I can get up at four in the morning and just go, 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 go until 11, 12 o'clock at night and then get up at four the next morning again and go, go, go. Yeah. You're a morning person for sure. <laughs> Definitely. 100% morning person. Yes, I am. Yeah. And I, I can just picture you holding her and being like, I can't believe I feel so much love, but I can't believe I'm getting no sleep. That's exactly how it was, Erin. I mean, I, I was, I'm falling asleep with her. My husband used to take her out in the car, in the car to let her fall asleep. We'd bring her back up with the car seat and all. I say, I'm leaving her coat on her and hat on her and everything. And boing, the eyes were wide open. I said, oh my Lord, have mercy. Yeah. We laugh about that today though. We laugh about that today. She has three, uh, beautiful children that sleep for her (laughs) but thank god for that because when you're up all night like that oh it's tough especially when you're you know first time mom you're like you're already tired you don't know what to expect how to do things on your own you're trying your best and whoo i was like if this is how it is well i'm done (laughs) yeah okay all right so you guys both have more than one child i wanted to ask how did each pregnancy differ from each other And what about after the birth? Did you find it easier since you already had one child to raise the second one? Or did you find it was completely different? Or how was it raising them both? I know there could be jealousy issues with some kids. What was that like for you? That was a little struggle for me. When I was pregnant for my second child, who was a a son, I was like, well, how am I supposed to love this child as much as I love the first child? 
And it was a weird, weird feeling because I'd be like, well, I have so much love for my firstborn. I felt like I was betraying my first child. Uh, I really did. I felt like she's going to hate me. You know, I mean, she was, you know, I, I, I tell her there's a baby in my belly. She loved the idea and everything was good during the pregnancy of my second child. How far apart are they in age again? They're three years apart. The first one was three years old when I had the second one. She kind of knew what was going on. And, you know, she was very observant and a very smart kid. But what ended up happening was, you know, she was all about the baby and everything while I was pregnant. But then when the baby came home, well, when I was in the hospital and I had uh, her brother, um, I called her on the phone and I, you know, I told her, you, you have a brother, you know, and she's all excited and she... She came up to the hospital, but she kept her distance um, from me. She, she, she was a little bit jealous right away. Absolutely. Like, you know, I, I, I don't want him to come home. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, it's funny now, but at that time, she didn't want him because that's just how she was. She just felt like he was taking mommy away because mommy you know, had to spend, you know, a lot of time with the baby because he was a newborn when I went home with him. Um, So I would try to include her, you know, I'd let her help me feed him and, you know, and and she did it and she, she liked it, but she only liked it for a little bit of time. You know, she wanted to have all my attention. So um, it it was a little bit of a struggle, but um, letting her know that, you know, um, I love her just as much as the baby and, you know, and I'm still her mommy you know, just as much as I'm his mommy. And uh, I tried to spend a little bit of quality time with her, you know, when the baby was sleeping, you know, I'd sit with her and read a book with her or, you know, and try to give her that time. And, you know, so it it was a little hard on me, a little bit hard on me because I felt like guilty, (laughs) but it was so weird, but um, it all ended up working out like it always does. And, you know, when they ended up, I mean, of course, loving each other and playing together and all of that, but, um, that was how it was with my my second child, but my pregnancy was very different with the second child because my first pregnancy was late. I was almost I was twelve days late having my first born, so you know it was a long pregnancy. And then when I had my son, I was I went in five weeks early, so I didn't expect that. Um, oh my, wow! So complete opposites. It was the complete opposites, and they are complete opposites. And I'll tell you, I got four. And every one of them are different. They all have a different personality. It's, it's, it's amazing. As you have more than one child, you, you love them all the same. I might love them differently. They're not the same person, but I don't love either one of them more or less. I love them all equally. I have, a, I have the same amount of love for every one of them. And how many years was it between Chris and your third well, child? With, that was a 10-year difference. Yes, that's that was a 10 year. Yeah, that's because I had well, I had gotten divorced. And um, my first marriage, I my first marriage, I was very young. I was young when I got married. um, And I had two children. And then we divorced. And then I had gotten married 10 years later, I got married again. And I had two more children. So I have two generations. Um, So they're very different. The first two children, I was a young mother. And then the two uh, youngest, I'm an older mother. So I kind of started over again, you know, and, uh, and it's a whole different, you know, ball game because it's a whole different generation. So I mean, I raised them all the same. I raised them all the same with the same manners and, you know, respect and all of that good stuff. 
Um, I raised them all the same, but like I said, they're all different. They're all different people. They're all good kids. They're all, I call them kids. They're not kids. They're adults, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, they're all different. And their pre- the pregnancies for every one of them was different. It's, it's amazing that not one pregnancy is the same and they're all different kids. They're all good kids, but they're all different. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Dawn. Well, for both my pregnancies, I was very, very sick. I was sick to the point where I had to be hospitalized with IVs from vomiting so much. Um, and, but I found with the first one, when I was sick, I could lay down, I could rest, and I didn't have any other children. Then the second one, I could not do that because I had to take care for the first one. So I found that a little bit difficult. Also, with the, the first one, I found like you do more I'm sure Deb can uh, say that too. You do more like of the milestone things with the first one, like their first this, their f- you do everything first for the first one, like, cause you're a first time mom. So you're going to do everything possible with that first one. Where the second one, you're a little more laid back. Um, not that you neglect the second one. And like Deb said, you care for, um, you're equally loved both of them, but there it's just like you, in the first one, you have more time to do things with that first one, where the second one, you don't. I found that a little bit different. And my children are five years apart because the first one did not sleep. I was all done. I wasn't having any more. So um, I actually uh, got tested for mono and they said, congrats, you are pregnant. So that was with my second one. So um, wow. and she, yeah, and she was a totally different baby. Four weeks old, she slept all night. Uh, and she was just so different in the sleeping wise, but, uh, they were five years different. So of course there was a lot of jealousy there. Um, my oldest was very jealous. Uh, she, there was a point when they were like five and 10, she didn't even, she wouldn't even want to sit next to her sister or drink from the cup, same cup as her sister. Or don't even look at me. It was like, I was like getting worried, like, oh my God, what the heck did I do? You know, if I, I, I spaced them too much, what, what did I do? But now, you know, it, like, like Debbie said, it all works out and they're like the best of friends. They are always together. They're, I mean, they are so close. So it does work out in the end, but you do go through those things in between of what to expect. Did you do the right thing? Did you not do the right thing? Is it, um, should you have had them closer? Should you have, uh, why do they feel like that? It's just all kinds of questions that you ask them. You kind of put a little bit of guilt on yourself because you're um, wondering what you did wrong. But then in the end, it does work out. It's just, that's just how things are when you have uh, the different years apart from them, each other. I mean, the five years is a long time. It's interesting because I always wondered if like, if they're the same gender, if that makes the jealousy worse, because, you know, say it's a little girl, she might think of competition with another, but it sounds like Debbie had a jealousy issue with Kayla and Chris too, and they're different genders. So I don't think that really matters. No, I don't know. No, I think it's just because they're, um, because it's like someone is in their territory now. They've been like, like my daughter was the baby for five years. All of a sudden someone's now someone's coming into the picture and she's getting some attention too. And I, I don't like that. That's, that's what I think it is, you know, until they understand. And like you, like Debbie was saying, you have to get the, you get them involved. You, you let them help you. And, and as time goes on, things work out, but it is, it is, uh, you know, it's hard being a mom and seeing that happen between your children because you're trying your best and 
you know, it's just, but it's obviously it's a normal thing because other people go through it too. So. Right. And you had the five-year difference. Debbie had the three-year difference. So I don't right. think it really makes two, unless they're like babies, babies together, close together. I don't think it makes too much of a difference. There's always probably going to be some hint of jealousy there. Right. right. If they're aware, yeah. if they're old enough to know what's going on a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Did you guys find, so I'm not a mother yet, but I know with, I don't want to like say compare animals to babies, but I know everyone out there knows I love my guinea pigs. When I had my first guinea pig, I was like so scared of everything he did. A, something seemed wrong. I was rushing him to the vet. Whereas the second one, I'm like you said, I'm a lot more laid back, but it's because I know a lot more and I've had the experience. Do you find that's the same with your kids? Or do you think you can also be laid back, not be so scared of everything because of the first one? That's exactly what it is. The first one, you're like, you're, it's the unknown. You're, you you don't know what to do or we're trying to get advice. And But the second one, you're like, you know it all. You know it all. You're all set. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely that way. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all about the experience. Um, like just like anything, just like with a job, the more experience you have and the more, you know, you know what to do. It's the same thing with kids. Your first one, it's like, I mean, you learn as you go really, but the first one, it's like, like Dawn says, you want to do everything, you know, top notch, you know, you want to, you, you do everything by the book, you buy the best diapers, you know? <laughs> and then when you get the second child, or any more after that, you get the cheaper diapers. I mean, I'm just using that for an example, you know, like you don't really need, what's the difference? <laughs> you yeah. know, unless the baby's, you know, it's like, you take a bath later, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's just, that's just how it is, you know? And it's the same way with the, the ages of the children, because, you know, I have four children and the first one, she complains even to this day that the last one, the baby, oh, you didn't let me do that when I was young, when I was her age. Oh, like, yeah. well, I'm like, well, I'm older now and I'm more lenient because I'm tired. <laughs> I I'm can, tired. <laughs> as the youngest in our family, I can understand that. <laughs> I've been told that. Yes, exactly. And it's like that, you know, and like this, it was the same, same thing with Ma. You know, like you said, like with Ma, it was like, I'm sure it was the same way with her with me. Like I was like, I was the one that had like everything, you know, because I was an only child, <laughs> you yeah. know, so you only have that one child. And then when you start sharing siblings and now it's like, Hey, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they love you the same. It's just that now you're getting a family. Now you're getting more siblings, but in the end it always works out because now like mom passed and we all have each other. It's a circle of life, you know? Even if you're close, I don't think you can understand the benefit of siblings when you don't have parents anymore, like living until right. that moment. Then you're like, wow, my siblings really are important and they're the ones that I'm going to be left right. with. That's right. That's so true, Aaron. So true. It really is. All right. So what are some of the tools that you guys used or the people you turned to that helped you navigate being a mother for the first time? The first person that I would go to, you know, when I was pregnant and younger and all of that, I went to mom, the number one person that can give you the best advice um, about being a mom, because, you know, that's your mom and you learn from your mom. A lot of the things that I knew uh, being pregnant and having children and raising children, I learned from, you know, my own mom. And if I had a question or anything that, you know, I'd, I would ask my mom because she was would be the one that would know. 
And then, of course, she would offer her advice all the time. You know, she'd offer her ideas and her advice all the time. You know, um, well, this and that, and, you know, the baby's not feeling well. And, you know, and then your mom will tell you, you know, take the temperature or, you know, maybe child should be seen. I mean, you, you go to your mom until you get some experience and it's not, you, you start to learn on your own, but you always go to your mom first. That's the first person that you would ask for advice or. Yes. The first person that I went to was my mom. I actually stood with mom two weeks after I had um, Courtney, my firstborn. I stood with my mom for two weeks because um, we were building, adding on to our apartment a room for Courtney because when I got married, I only had one bedroom. So they were putting a second bedroom on. So for two weeks, we stood with mom and it was it was actually very good for me because you're, you're nervous, you don't know what to expect. And she actually helped me, you know, in the middle of the night, get up, how to make the formula, the put the bottles together. Like she kind of helped me for two weeks. I was with her and it was, it helped me a lot. And then, um, and I also had some friends that were moms too. So I also reached out to them at some points too, when I, you know, when we, we got together and we did things together with our children. So um, that's how I, you know, that's who I used for advice and help. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to turn the conversation toward your romantic relationships. Were your relationships with your spouses affected when you became a mom for the first time? How did it change? Did you guys become closer? Were there more difficult moments? All of that. In my case, I was married and um, I did notice a change in my marriage for in the beginning with the first child, the first pregnancy and then the first child, not the pregnancy, but after the baby was born, I just totally was, you know, spent so much time with the baby. So I feel like, you know, my husband felt, felt left out sometimes. A lot of my friends used to tell me that that was, and my mom used to tell me that that was normal, you know, and she, and she used to tell me, my mom used to tell me too. She said, you know, you got to give your husband some attention because believe it or not, they really, even though it's their child, they can get very, um, it's not, it's, it's not really a jealousy thing, but it's a, it's like a, a, a left out feeling. You know, they feel like, oh, you know, all you think about and care about is that baby. You know, well, what about me? Did you forget about me? You know, <laughs> I think that's just a natural thing, though. Um, I think because, you know, they always say the bond between the mother and the child and, you absolutely. know, you carry the child. So but I think that's right. an important point to bring up. I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think enough people talk about that because it's sort of like a taboo thing. Like they don't want to they just want to be like, oh, we we welcomed our first baby and everything's great. So I think that is important to bring that up, that it can be normal for, you know, your, the husband to feel that way. Well, you know, it's, this is the thing is it's, um, and I heard this before, or I might've even read it. A mother, there's a difference between a, a mom and a dad. And it's not that the dads, it's not that the dads don't love the child as much as the mom. It's just that it takes the dad more time because what happens with the dad is when the mom is pregnant, the mom is already in love with the baby when the child is inside of the mom's belly, inside the womb. So the mom is falling in love with this with this baby before this baby's even born. This is part of her body. This is part of her and part of her husband whom she loves. And then when a baby's born, the mom is already already has a bond with this baby. What happens with a dad is a dad has to fall in love with this child. Once this child is born, the dad has to fall in love with this child. You know, and they, they do fall in love with their baby, but it, it, it's not the same. 
it, it, it ends up the same. Uh, you know, they love the baby is just as much as the mom, but it's just that it takes the dad a little while because um, the dads, like I said, the dads will think and feeling left out and this and that. But I just say it's the circle of life. That's just the way it is, just how it is. Right. And I know I read that somewhere where they said the dad has to fall in love with the child and they do. But it's just that, like I said, the mom is just automatically loves the child. It's just, uh, it's that bond, you know, but the dads love their children just as much. I mean, yeah, so that I've makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my case, um, I don't think it affected my relationship at all. I think it made, made my relationship stronger. Um, we were very young and we were like, just learning what life was about. And then we had this baby. So uh, we, we did it together. And also our work schedules were totally different. I worked a different shift than him. So he was, did the quality time with the baby. I did the quality time with the baby. So then when we, when we weren't working, we were, we were together in it. So it was kind of, it was a little bit different because of that situation that we had. And I think it brought us together as a family stronger and I think it helped uh, my relationship, if anything. So Debbie, this question is for you. What was the process like becoming a single mom and co-parenting with the father of your kids? It was the, um, the biggest challenge that I've ever had to experience was raising my children by myself. But, you know, kids can still be grow up and be good kids and you know uh educated kids and even though they only have one parent it's just how much you put into it you know um I know I have some people that I know that are single parents they they give up and they you know you've got to be a strong person and you have to um do it for your children you know and then then again and again that's that motherly uh, bond and that motherly instinct you know you do whatever you have to do for your kids and uh and my kids they know that they know, you know, um, along the way that, unfortunately, that's the way the cards were dealt. But um, you can't let it ruin your relationship with your children. You know, they're still your children, whether you're with their, your husband or their father or um, if you're not. If you're not, you have to pick up the pieces, and which I always had to do. And that wasn't easy. I'm not, it's not an easy task. I'll tell you that. Uh, the most challenging thing I, I ever had to do in my life was raise my kids um by myself my heart goes out to people that have to do that that you know um stand up and do it you know and um that's it it's just not an easy task (laughs) but it can be done it can be done and um you know and it can work out the kids they're grown now and they know what I went through and trying to be the best best mother that I could be even though I didn't have help you know, um, and then I never, you know, I would never go to my mom because I didn't want to put that burden on her, you know, and I wanted, I didn't even want her to know. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I just, I did what I had to do. And um, I'm proud of myself that I did because I could have gave up on the kids. And you see a lot of that today, the grandparents are raising their grandkids. And my mom was a strong woman. And I, I'm a lot like her. And, um, I mean, she, you know, she, she had, you know, my dad raising us, she had, she had her, you know, her help and all that, which I kind of had to raise my kids a little different than my mom did because I had to do it by myself, but it was, um, it wasn't an easy task, but it, I'm just proud of myself that I did do that and I didn't give up on my kids or, and I didn't walk away and I stood strong and, 
and I did it. I feel that I did the right thing. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys have a memory with your kids that sticks out that made you feel really grateful that you were a mom? I've, I've had uh, many moments. One of my children out of my four, I had a child that was, um, had some uh, birth defects and I had, had a few surgeries and stuff like that. And he was bullied a lot throughout his childhood and, um, and his adulthood. And I always said to myself, you know, you know, God made me this child's parent for a reason, because I just, I see a lot of stuff that goes on with other kids and other parents and, you know, I'm not so great going on. And um, I just feel like I'm blessed that I got to be this child's parent because I feel like, you know, I'm the right fit for this child because I stuck by him and almost like his bodyguard. And, um, you know, I'm very passionate about my kids and, and um, protecting them, even though, you know, they're adults now and I'm still the same way. Um, but I just feel like, cause I look at my child that has these, you know, um, learning things going on, disabilities and stuff. And I look at, at her and I say, you know, if this child had a different parent, I wonder how this would go, you know? And then I say, I'm so, I'm so thrilled and happy that it's me because I can protect this child the best of my ability, you know, make sure this child grows up and protected and good because I look at these, I see these other kids that go through things with like being in foster homes and parents giving up on them and they can't handle it or, you know, and, and, and let me tell you, it, it hasn't been an easy task um, for that either. Um, but it's, I just feel like, you know, they say God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. And I sometimes don't get me wrong. I, I get frustrated and I say, you know, I, oh, well, he must think I'm a, a hero because <laughs> he keeps giving me these things to handle, but I get through it. I get through it. And um, so that's true. And uh, sometimes I don't know how I get through, but I do. So I feel grateful and blessed that, that I'm able to parent the children that I have, because I feel like they are lucky to have me. I really do. I feel like they're lucky to have me because I know that I'm only here to help, you know, to protect them and help them. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> no, it does. It does. Yeah. I'm just like feeling like, so um, have to feel like I'm blessed and I'm blessed to have all of my children. I am here to fulfill their needs. And that's, I'm a parent, I'm the mom, you know, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here to be a mom. They say that moms are here because God can't be everywhere. <laughs> so that's why there's moms. <laughs> yeah. Good saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. Dawn, is there a memory that sticks out for you? There's a couple here that you're probably going to laugh at, but um, <laughs> um, my, my daughters, um, they actually made me very proud because they, um, there's two things. One was, both my daughters ran a, a 5K race with me. They knew that I liked to, to work out and run and, and they both did it with me. And it was like, we have a picture together. It was an amazing feeling having your daughters run with you and everybody cheering you on. And it's just a great memory that I'll hold close to my heart forever. And another one is, um, we all know that I like Michael Jackson. So um, they surprised me with um, uh, see a tribute of Michael Jackson. And it was another memory that I will never, ever forget. 
So those two things made me proud to be their mom and memories that they, that they made for me. And I, I appreciate that very much. So, so nice. Yeah, that's, that's the memories I hold close to my heart that I love. Do you have a favorite Michael Jackson song? Actually, I love all Michael Jackson songs. So, um, and, the, and when you played one for me, Aaron, the one, uh, You Are Not Alone, uh, it kind of is one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a nice song. Yeah, yeah, it's a very nice song. So what is it like having um, adult children compared to when they were little? I, I enjoy it because I um, do a lot with them. They always want to be with me. Uh, we're mother and daughters, but we're friends. Um, we go out and um, do a lot of things together as adults. Now that they're adults, we can do a lot of things. Um, I think it's a, a good thing. I do miss them when they moved out of the house, when they became adults and married. Um, but now that they have, you know, families and I enjoy them as adults because we can do more together. Yeah, like Dawn says, I enjoy them being grown because, uh, you know, being adults, because, you know, we can do things together. Me and my daughter, we go shopping together. Um, it's kind of like Dawn said, like a friend, you know, it's a friend, but I mean, but I don't cross those parent boundaries either. You know, like my daughter, you know, sometimes she'll test me or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, I'm still your mother. You know, <laughs> she'll be like, I'm 22 years old. You can't tell us. It doesn't matter. I don't care how big you get. I'll stand up on a chair. Oh, I don't care how big you get, how old you get. I'm still your mom. <laughs> but yeah, I do enjoy, I do enjoy that. The part of, you know, like you, you can, you have somebody to talk to. You can go out, you know, if I want to go do something, I, you know, we do it together. They enjoy my time more as adults. I mean, the growing up years are tough, you know, especially like the teenage years and you go through all that. So when they become adults, it does get better. It does get easier. They understand more when they're adults. Like Dawn said, you do, you enjoy the, they have children and they have their families. You know, you enjoy the added on, you know, additions. It's, it's good, you know, makes your family bigger and you have your grandchildren and yeah, it can, you do a lot more things when they're adults and you know, you, you still worry about them, even though they're adults, you still worry, you know, when they're in cars or, you know, they just getting their license and, and you're like, oh, be careful and you know, but it is, um, I think it's, I think it's a lot easier and you always have them if, you know, if you need help with something. Okay. So for those uh, listeners who don't know, I'm the youngest of six. So I know what that process was like for me, but I wanted to ask you guys, it's interesting because Debbie's oldest daughter is actually older than me. She's like a year older than me. So my niece is older than me. And then Dawn's oldest daughter is only like eight months younger than me. And I grew up with her more like, like a cousin dynamic there. So many people mis mistook us for cousins. And it was like, no, I'm, you know, our aunt, she's my niece. What was that like for you guys? Because I'm watching Corinne, she's all grown up. And I remember when she was a baby and I'm thinking, oh my God, that must, must be like that for Debbie and Dawn and, you know, the oldest. You guys remember when I was born and that's so crazy to me. So what is it like? for you guys to have me as a sibling, like as far as the age goes, because I'm so much younger than you guys, you guys are already married and out of the house by the time I was born. So um, like Debbie already had her first daughter and Dawn actually was pregnant with our mom at the same time for some months with her first daughter when my mom was pregnant with me. So what has that been like for you? Is, is it weird? Wondering what your perspective is. I honestly, I used to brag. 
I, <laughs> I used to brag, you know, I used to tell people, geez, I, I used to say, I have a baby sister that is younger than my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and people used to say, what? Say that again? And I'd say, my sister is my daughter's aunt. Just to like put it into perspective too, Debbie's the oldest. So when you were born, mom was 16. When I was born, right. she was, I'm the youngest, she was 37. So Right. And that's the thing. And that's the thing. When I got pregnant for my first child, me and mom looked like sisters. Everywhere we went, they were, and of course, my loved it. Everywhere we went, <laughs> people could not believe that I was her daughter. They would say, get out of here. You guys look like sisters. And I'd say, no, no, I'm her daughter. No, and I was 18 and people just thought we were sisters because uh, of course Ma is only 16 years older than me. And Ma always looked young, all the way up to 74. She still look, didn't look 74. But when, when you were born, yeah, it was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it really was. But the only thing that, like you said, I was out of the house. I was already married and already had a, a child, like already had a baby. And that was the only thing that, that I didn't like about it was I didn't get to really like live with you and grow with you. Like I did with the other kids, you know, we all grew up together, but I didn't get to grow up with you, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was just impossible. So it was kind of crazy, but, um, you know, and I'll tell you, and like I said, again, like I say, again, the circle of life, here I am. I ended up having a baby, uh, when I was 36, I was 37, I believe when she had you. Yeah. And then I was 36 when I had autumn. So it was like the, basically the same thing. I like, she, my oldest was, I think my daughter was eight, 18, maybe or 16, maybe it was 16. I don't know when, when autumn was born. So they were they're far apart. Me and you, I think it's 21 years apart. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, I think it was kind of cool. Your aunt, like I'll say auntie, I tell the kids, auntie Erin, you know, people are like, and I'm like, that's my younger sister. She's actually, she's actually younger than Kayla. And they're like, how can that be? That don't make sense. I'm like, it does. It's <laughs> I'm like, cause I had a baby, but my mom had a baby after me. And they're like, what did she have your sister at 50? I'm like, no, I'm like, she was, she was still young. I mean, 37 is, is, I mean, it, it's not 20, but it's not 50. Right. And like I said, Ma was, you know, you know, Ma was a young mother. She was always a young mother. She was a very uh, vibrant mom, wasn't the type of mom that laid around. So she stayed very young looking and stuff. And she started young. So when she had you, it was just, it was, I thought it was really cool. And I was so happy that she had a girl (laughs) because (laughs) you were the baby. And I'm like, well, Ma needs a girl to be the baby, you know, because, because you would be her on her hip. (laughs) <laughs> like mine is with me close tomorrow because you were the girl you know the baby the baby girl so um I was happy that Ma had a girl too like Deb said I did I thought it was really cool also when you were born now I was married already and I remember going to the hospital to visit you and I was with my husband and he was introducing you to people as his sister-in-law <laughs> and people were like that's your sister-in-law and he'd say, yep, that's my sister-in-law. And we would laugh all the time because it was like the funniest thing, but the cutest thing ever. And people out there, they just couldn't believe it. And they couldn't put it together. They were trying to figure it out. And it was crazy. And then when you, um, then when mom went back to work after you, I babysat you for a while. So I used to babysit you while she worked. So it actually, it helped me because then I got pregnant. 
and I was having a baby. So it was helping me get the experience that I needed. My, would, my dad would come home from work and I knew the exact time they were coming down the street. So I would get you all dressed up. I put your hair in a little bow and I put you on the couch looking towards the window. So when Ma would come down, she'd be looking at you and she'd always wave. I always had to have you in the window when she was coming home from work, she'd wave to you. And one day I didn't have you in the window because I didn't realize the time and she was all upset about it. So <laughs> it was like, <laughs> she used to look forward to seeing you in the window, but I used to I used to babysit you until I was like eight months. And then I ended up uh, staying home with you and Ma. And uh, we used to order, um, uh, what was it? Shrimp fried rice. Every every day she'd say, what, what do you want? And I'd say, shrimp fried rice. And she'd go, okay, okay. And then as she is, after I had my, after I had my first baby, she'd say, you know what? I Every time you said shrimp fried rice, I'd say, oh my God, not again, not again, not again. But she would eat it with me. She would eat it with me every day because that was my craving. But um, yeah, it was it was a good to have a little baby sister. I loved it. I loved it. I still love it. I call you my little sis all the time. Yeah. I call Deb. <laughs> I call Deb my sis, and I call you my little sis. Yeah, and it, it's I I love it. I love having it. And like you and Courtney, when you were growing up together, you and my first born, you were, you know, like you did say, you were like cousins. It was crazy how you hung out and you together, and you always get your arms around each other, and it was. It was just the cutest thing. I just loved it. You know, I really enjoyed having a baby sister. Let's talk about grandchildren. So they say the relationships between grandparents and grandchildren are truly special because of the different dynamic. So Debbie and Dawn, how has becoming a grandmother differed from being a mother? I have six grandchildren. Uh, Five of them are biological and then one is not biological, but my son adopted him. So, you know, so he's my grandson. I call him my grandson. Um, as far as um, being a grandmother is just so different than being a mom. Um, it's, I don't know what it is. Well, I, I know what it is. It's because you can enjoy them and you, you have a different kind of a bond with them. Like you can enjoy them more than your own children, <laughs> you know, as they're growing up because you don't have to do any discipline you don't have any responsibilities to them besides, of course, being keeping them safe. But I mean, you know, when you spend time with them, it's just, it's just, it's great. It's like, you can spoil them. I mean, we, people say these things every day. They say it all the time. And it's very, very true. And it's like, when you see your grandchild and you see how happy they are to see you, it, it's just a, it, it's a feeling that's, it's just so different. And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, you love your grandchildren more than your kids. You love them all the same. But it's just your grandchildren. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's so special. It's such a different, it's just such a different kind of feeling and, and bond and love. It's like, I don't know. You just feel so proud of them and you feel so, you make such a big deal out of like my grandson, my youngest grandchild is three. And of course, like I said about the circle of life, my oldest daughter had him, she had him at 36 or 37, maybe. Um, so she had him late. So it's like, so she's got, you know, her oldest is 19. And then her baby is three. And he is just the light of my day when I see him. I mean, he's very rambunctious and he's very hyper. <laughs> when I see him, I'm just, I just feel like, oh my God, I'm so proud of him. And I'm so, oh my God, he's so smart. And every little thing that my grandson does, the baby is like, it's a big deal. You know, even even the older ones. I don't know if it's because it's an extension 
of down the line, it's my grandmother, then my mom, then me, then my daughter, then now the grandchild. I don't know. But, you know, but I had a bond with my grandmother. You know, I, I had a bond with my grandmother. She used to do a lot of things. She used to hide a lot of things from my mom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not hurtful, bad things. But I mean, if my mom said, oh, you know, uh, uh, no more candy for the night or, you know, no more snacks for the night, you know, and my grandmother would sneak me snacks. It was just just it's very different, you know, and I do the same thing. I hear things from people all the time, but you don't know until you experience it, just like mom's death. You know, like before mom passed, I heard so, lots of people that I know lost their moms. And I'm like, and they're like, there's nothing like it. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's probably tough. I know, I know. But then when you lose your mom, it's a totally, totally different, you know, now I know what it really feels like. It's like a piece of you is, part of you is just missing um, forever. You know, um, a piece of me went with my mom, you know, uh, I mean, but with my grandkids, it is totally, totally different. It's just, um, they can really brighten up your day. It's a great feeling. I'm sure Dawn has some stories too about her grandkids. I have three grandchildren, two twin girls that are four. And then I have a two-month-old baby boy. And I have another granddaughter on the way. She's due June 10th. And um, like Debbie said, it is a love like no other. It is a whole different love. And it is a feeling that is so different. You cannot, you can't describe it unless you're a grandparent. And it, um, and I think what it is, is like Debbie was saying on the same aspect, um, is that you don't have the full responsibility. So like you, when you're, when you're a mom, you have to work to support your child. You have to make sure they have food. You have to make sure they're taken care of. You have to make sure everything, you know, everything is good for them. When your grandchild, you can spoil them rotten. You can enjoy when you're with them and then you can send them home. So I think that is pretty much what it, what it is. I mean, I see my grand, I, I, if I don't see my grandchildren for a couple of days, I'm like, oh my God, I got to see my grandchildren. Their faces when they come up to you and they're hugging you and squeezing you and you're even the baby's two months old. I'm talking to me, smiling up a storm. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing feeling. And um, I have this saying that I always say with my grandchildren, oh, well, the twins, because they're four. We, I always say, well, what happens at Grammy's house? And they say, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> so I say that all the time to them when I see them. What can we do at Grammy's house? And they go, we can do whatever we want. Because it's true. I let them do whatever they want. <laughs> and then I send them home. But it is um, definitely a feeling that is, it's like no other. Honestly, it is. People say it to you all the time. You, you know, we to your grandparent and it is the truth. Let me tell you, it truly is. I, I am so grateful. Yeah. I, I'm blessed to have each and every one of them. And I can't wait for my little June bug. I call her June bug because she's coming in June, hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. If there is one important trait or lesson you hope you passed on to your kids, what would it be? Well, I guess it would be a trait. I don't know, but I just always instill in my kids is, is love and respect and be respectful. You know, don't judge people. Um, and I know they're all that way. I just, I'm big on respect and I'm big on, you know, you don't make fun of people. You, you know, you love everyone, you don't pick fights with people, just being all around good human being. And you want something in life, you work for it. So I can think of right now. I always tell my kids up until today, I tell them, treat people the way you want them 
to treat you. You treat them the way you want to be treated. And I used to tell them, never take things for granted and never think you can't do anything because you can always do everything you want to do. And that's what I used to tell them all the time. And I, till today, I still tell them the same things. I tell my kids, you've got the world in your hands. You can do whatever you want to do. Do it while you can. Good lessons. What advice would you give to a new mother out there who may be stressed or scared about the future? I would tell her that it always works out. It'll always work out. It'll, it, it gets better. It gets better. And, and just enjoy what God blessed you with. Just enjoy what God blessed you with. Don't be scared. Don't waste your time being scared. You learn as you go. You know, life is a learning lesson. I would tell new moms, like, never compare your children with others because all children are different. And um, don't be afraid to ask questions or ask for help, you know, if needed. And, um, and sleep when they sleep so you can get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> so our dad passed away um, in 1995 unexpectedly. And he was pretty young. He was in his 50s. So we were all young. I was only 10. Uh, you guys, uh, Don, you were in your late 20s. Debbie, you were in your early 30s. So your kids were still young. Some of Debbie's kids weren't even born yet. So what are some ways that you guys have taught your kids about dad and have kept his memory alive? I know, um, Dawn, your kids remember him. Uh, they were still young when he died, but they, they did get to experience a little bit of life with him. And Debbie, your two, two oldest kids got to do that too. So as your kids get older, how, did, how are you, like, what are you teaching them about him and, and how are you keeping his memory alive, basically? Well, the kids that, um, my two older kids, they met him and they knew him. And my two younger kids, what I do with my two younger kids is I show them pictures and um, I tell them every now and then we'll be talking about something and that'll, you know, dad will come up or, or something will come up that will remind me of dad. And then I'll tell them, oh, my dad used to do this or my dad used to do that. And you know what he used to say? You know, he's wicked funny. He used to do this or that, you know, and then with my older kids who knew him, I say to them, you remember when grandpa used to do this, right? And, and we'd laugh, you know, or you remember when, you know, grandpa used to, you know, we'd have a cookout and he would take forever to cook the food or, you know, and um, so I think that that is how um, is just by talking about him and with the younger kids, they they will ask questions. You know, when I if I show them a pit and I say, oh, this is grandpa. Look at this picture. This is grandpa with uh, with Kayla or this is grandpa with my or grandma. Or, and um, then they'll start asking me the questions. You know, so to me, that's how they know my dad, because they never got a chance to meet him. So they know him by my memories. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do the same thing pretty much. Um, you know, like my children know, you know, they know, they knew dad. So, um, my youngest one was five years old when he passed. So, um, we talk about, you know, when they used to sleep over and the things he used to do and like how long he took to cook things. That was his thing. Um, <laughs> He would make uh he would make my youngest one a breakfast. They, she would sleep over there the night before. Then in the morning he'd make her a breakfast. He'd wash the pan, put it all away, and then he'd say after, "Do you want another one?" And she'd say, "Yeah." And he'd take them all out again instead of doing two at once. And we laugh about that till today. We talk about that, and it's the same thing. Like Deb said, well, you know, the kids will say, will say, "Do you remember this? Do you remember that?" Or like it, like we have a. <laughs> this is kind of funny. On his foot, the big toe was big. And I have it. My daughter Courtney has it. 
and and as a matter of fact, Tara has his lips, the full lips. Ma used to always say, Dad has full lips. And when Tara was born, that was the first thing she said to me was, Tara has Dad's lips. I'm saying, yes, she does. And we say that till today. I say, you got Grandpa's lips. She goes, I know, Ma. I know, Ma. You told me that all the time. I know. So, you know, like, that's how I keep his uh, memory alive. We, we laugh and talk about things that are with him, what we experienced with memories and things like with him, the, the big show and all that, our memories. Okay, so this is similar to what I just asked you guys, but now that mom passed away, now that she's passed away, and and now both of our parents, you know, have passed, how do you think you'll carry on their legacies with your grandchildren since, you know, your youngest grandchildren, they're only going to know them through pictures? I, um, Ma was called Nana to them. They got things that Ma had bought them. We... They remember her always, um, you know, when they came to my house. And so when she they come, I go, remember Nana? Remember Nana? Um, Nana used to do this. Nana gave you this. Nana said, and they go, yeah. Or they even, today they say, where's Nana? Is Nana still sick? Is Nana still sick? They do know who she is. And we plan on keeping her memory alive. That's what, that's what we definitely are going to do that. It's going to be like the same thing, pretty much like dad. We were going to just keep doing, uh, whether it's keeper and pitches, I have videos of them talking to Ma, them, you know, with Ma. Or, so that's, I'm just going to keep going like that. And I'm going to keep, keep them remembering her. She'll never be forgotten. They'll, that's one thing. They're not going to not know who she is because she will be always remembered. Since Ma passed, I've done nothing but talk about her. And I wear her shirt. I wear her, her t-shirts and stuff that I did get. I, um, you know, I'm constantly um, talking about her and I have her pictures around, pictures in the mirror, pictures in the, they're reminded all the time. But um, even when I look in the mirror, all I see is her. So it's like, you know, every day it just, um, there's something that comes to mind, you know, to remind, to remind me. And then I talk to the kids and they'll ask me questions sometimes. And then we, we also have been getting a lot of signs. So even the kids get signs and they always telling me, mom, guess what happened today? I know grandma was here today. This happened and that happened. And, you know, they do that since she died, since she passed, they've been talking about her. So I don't think that's going to stop ever. So. Is there one particular thing you want your grandchildren to know about their grandparents? Yeah, well, I, I always tell them how, you know, how strong Ma was, how, um, you know, she was very, very um, proud of her, her national, you know, her Irish heritage. Uh, she was um, just a, a great woman, a great mom, a great woman. She said it like it was, um, you know, uh, they even have things about them that comes from her. You know, I'll say, well, you got the shape of grandma's eyes. You have that. Um, or and they'll say, I do, I do. <laughs> you know, so it's like um, they know, they know. Um, you know, I tell them how, you know, my, my mother used to um, help a lot of people. She was a very loving woman, even though she was she was feisty, but she stood her ground. She was very passionate um, and I'm passionate like her. A lot of times, too, you know, I'll say, well, I'm like my mother. What do you want me to do? That's how I am. <laughs> you know, so it's like um, they know I instill everything in them about who Ma was and um, that her legacy lives on in us, you know, and us and the grandkids and 
she's part of all of us. So her legacy will live on her and dad, you know? Yeah. Don, if there's one thing you would want your grandchildren to know about their grandparents, what would it be? How they were a strong couple, um, how they raised six children, um, hard workers. Their love was like uh, unchained melody love. They were different. They had a genuine love for each other. Okay, so we're going to go on to the second half of our episode. For fun, I just kind of wanted to list some top media all about mothers for Mother's Day. So here are some top songs about mothers. And they're from all genres. The Mother by Brandy Carlisle. My Mother and I by Lucy Dacus. Two of Us by Louis Tomlinson. Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton. A Song for Mama by Boys to Men. Dear Mama by Tupac. The Best Day by Taylor Swift. The Wish by Bruce Springsteen. Sadie by The Spinners. Julia by The Beatles. Mama by Spice Girls. Hey Mama by Kanye West. Mama Liked the Roses by Elvis Presley. Hand That Rocks the Cradle by Glenn Campbell and Steve Wariner. Mom by Megan Trainer and Kelly Trainer, Mother by Ashanti. The Perfect Fan by Backstreet Boys. Mother Like Mine by the band Perry. Mama Said by the Shirelles. Dance by Nas. Thank You Mom by Good Charlotte. Mother's Intuition by Carly Simon. And Mama by Connie Francis. Now here are some top movies about mothers of all genres as well. Stepmom, Mother's Day, Terms of Endearment, Serial Mom, Mommy Dearest, Mama Mia, Because I Said So, Mother, Georgia Rule, Mothers and Daughters, Postcards from the Edge. Top TV shows about mothers, Working Moms, The Let Down, Gilmore Girls, Motherland, Big Little Lies, and Mom. And finally, top books about mothers, Mom and Me and Mom by Maya Angelou. Wild, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. My Name is Lucy Barton by Elizabeth Strout. The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. What We Lose by Zinzi Clemens. Are You My Mother by Allison Beckdale. Know the Mother by Desiree Cooper. At the Bottom of the River by Jamaica Kincaid. And The Reese Malcolm List by Amy Spaulding. Do you guys have any favorite TV shows or movies or songs about moms? Hmm. I, I think you pretty much nailed them all, Erin. Yeah, I like the one by Boys to Men, the mama. Yeah, that's a popular one. A lot of yeah, weddings. I, I always remember that song Ma used to play, Mama by Connie Francis. Mom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now's the exciting moment in the episode. So what my sisters and I decided to do was, in honor of our mom, to do a giveaway of a $74 gift card to anywhere um, in honor of the 74 years that she lived. So we asked people to enter by just, you know, putting in their names and telling us their kids' names. And the only requirement was that they were a mom. And we're doing this to celebrate moms. We're doing it to honor our mom. And I just want to thank everyone for entering and good luck. We're about to randomly select this person now. So get excited. Good luck. Let the drum roll. (laughs) Good luck, everyone. All right, here we go. You guys tell me when to stop. Okay, come on. Pick pick a good one for Ma. Pick a good one for Ma. All right. 
that one. And the winner of the gift card is Stephanie Cavarlo. And she is the mother of her daughter, Ashley. Congratulations, yes. Stephanie. Congratulations, Stephanie. And Stephanie lives in the property where Ma used to live. Oh, really? That's her, well, her, her mom lives there and she takes care of her mom in that property. Wow. That sings, how is that? Wow. Congratulations. If that's not the universe working its magic, yes. I don't know what it is. I know. Yes. Yes, her mom is sick and she takes care of her mom. And Ma used to talk to this Stephanie too. So Stephanie knows Ma. Wow. Oh, this is a great outcome. That's yes. so nice. So Stephanie will be contacting you. Um, this episode is pre-recorded. So when you listen to this, it'll be Mother's Day. But we recorded it a few days before. So I'll contact you by Mother's Day. Congratulations. Congratulations, Stephanie. $74 gift card to anywhere she wants. Could be a store, a restaurant. Anything. Take Amazon, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on to the last part of our episode. We wanted to dedicate this part to our mom. Like we said, she passed in December and it's been incredibly difficult, but we're all, you know, doing the best we can. Um, we just wanted to dedicate this part to her. So we're just going to talk a little bit about our favorite things about her, our favorite memories about her, and um, just remember her. And I thought that'd be a, a nice way to end the Mother's Day special that celebrates mothers. What better way to do it than celebrate our own mom? So the first thing, um, I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you think your favorite thing about mom was? If you had to pick a favorite thing, what would you say was your favorite thing about her? I, I remember, like, I know one of my favorite things. I loved when she would get kind of excited, excited, but also embarrassed. And she'd have like, or no, when she would um, think something was really, really funny. And you know, that laugh she had, <laughs> like with the, she would like have that certain laugh. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Emma. Yeah, so. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, too. <laughs> yeah, there's like a certain, like she would think something so funny and like, kind of like she'd slap your knee or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah she would, <laughs> was very hands on. Like I do that so much too. I didn't realize I use my hands a lot when I'm yeah talking or talking to people. I'll put my hand on their arm for a minute or something. But yeah, it was like the certain like just laugh. And I think it was my favorite because it just like I loved when she was happy you know, cause she's been through a lot. She was, she went through a lot. So, um, it was tough for her, but yeah, I think that laugh, I think would be one of my favorite things. What about you guys? Okay. Uh, one of my favorite things was when we put our head down and she kissed the top of it <laughs> when she got sick, like, um, we all didn't hug her. We didn't go next to her. And I, that is one thing I miss so much. I said, I, I wish I would have done it like the last months of her life. Because uh, that was all of our, everybody just put their head down. She kissed the top of the head. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Our children know what, what we're all talking about. And I missed out about her. It was her own trademark, her, her red lipstick on the top of our heads. The red lipstick, she would wear red lipstick when she would go out. And yeah, that was like the, <laughs> the trademark. Yeah. So yeah. we always, what we started doing is we we're always sending each other the red lips emoji because it's the perfect representation of her. Right. And she put it, she used to kiss us on the top of the head because everybody used to like, she would she kiss our cheek or was on the, the red lipstick would be on us. And we'd be, ma, you get the red lipstick all over us. And she'd say, too bad. I love you. Too bad. I love you. So then she would just put it on the top of our heads because she couldn't see it that much. So we would put our yeah. heads down 
And it actually went on for with those our children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. It's like it just keeps going on and on. It kept going <laughs> on and on. So that's uh that's what I, I loved about her. What I loved about Ma was oh my favorite thing and the thing that is always in my head and in my mind every day is her facial expressions. She always expressed how she felt in her face. <laughs> She always, she did. She just like, and then the way that she would, like, if we were out somewhere or, you know, somebody was being rude or she would like say something funny about that person, but she would say it like low so only you could hear it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking she about. She would, she would be like, she would be like, what the hell is her problem? Or, you know, uh, she's got a face on her like a, his face could stop a clock or mm. busted sofa that. yeah she was very expressive with her facial expressions you know what I mean and I keep getting that in my in my head all the time just her face like when she's laughing or yeah. even when she cried or you know or when she was mad she always had like a facial expression and her face would get red she just and when she laughed, like you guys were saying about the laugh, and she was very handsy, handsy with her hands. She did, she talked with her hands so bad. And I do the same thing. My hands are all over the place. She was very feisty too. And the way she danced, I used to love the way she danced. <laughs> I used to love seeing her dance because she was so happy when she was dancing. Yeah, she was happy. Yeah, yep. I was going to say that she loved music. Like, I know every single word to every single oldie because of her. Me, me too, Aaron. Me too. Yeah. Yep. She used to say, who doesn't like music? There's something wrong with them. Right. She's right. I love music. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I was saying to BJ today at work, I said, the funny thing is, BJ, I said, when, when I was a kid, I said, I got aggravated by, with the music. Because it was over and over and over the same songs, the same songs. I says, but now I says I love to, and not since my died. I mean, before my died, I love those songs. I love those songs that my used to listen to all each and every one of them, and I know every single word. And that's the yeah. music that I play on my radio, my car, and stuff. It's all the stuff that I heard growing up. And it's funny because I'm like, when I was in, a kid, I didn't like listening to. It. I mean, I liked it, but I would get sick of it. I'd be like, oh my god, this song again. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go to bed and Ma's still playing music and it's the same thing over and over. And I'm like, oh my God, now I'm like, I love, I love it. I love hearing the music. I know all the words. And we were talking about that today. She used yeah. to say all the time too, that uh, the music in her era was music. It had meaning. And she was right. right. She was damn right. Oh yeah. Nothing like that music. Yeah. The facial expressions. I was going to say, I know what you're talking about there. And I'm like that too. I cannot hide how I feel. <laughs> like people know yep. it. It's just, I oh, can't yeah. do it. <laughs> we have pictures of Ma with those facial expressions. Remember we were going through some of her stuff and those pictures came up and we were like, oh my God, she's telling us having fun going through my things. But it's true. It's, it's my saying too. It's like, if my face is not, I mean, if my words are not saying it, my face is saying it. <laughs> All right, what's something that she taught you that you hold close and you feel you'll keep with you forever? I think for me, I just admired the way she was, like you said, she was very strong. Like, even though mm -hmm. she told it like it is, you know, not everybody got along with her because of that. And not many people understood her perspective because of what she 
went through and what she basically learned in her life. I think she still was just very strong. She never gave up ever. I mean, she lost so many people in her life. She she brought up six kids. She lost a baby that like hours after she was born. Not many people know that, um, that we would have had another sister. We did have another sister, but she died when she was, you know, a few hours old. So she had to go through that. Even now, like now that she and dad have passed away, I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. And she had that as well at a pretty young age, but she also lost a baby. She lost her, one of her closest siblings, very young. She lost her, you know, just friends. Um, just it's, it's crazy. And it's, she really was strong. And even though she dealt with depression a lot, when she was dealt something, I think, especially when she got sick, she, she was not letting that do anything. She, you know, keeping her down. She even said to me, I have cancer. So what? Like, and I said, Oh my gosh, but you know, she was determined to do the best she could. And I think she did. I mean, it's just, I think just her strength is what I, she taught me how to be a strong woman. Yes. And, and I'm with you on that, Erin. Um, I feel the same way. And I feel like, you know, they say like, you know, what you go through in life just makes you stronger. And my, you know, went through a lot. She, she went through a lot her, in her life, um, you know, all the way from her childhood up, you know, and she still, she still never gave up. I mean, I don't remember ever in my whole life. And I'm obviously I'm older. I'm the oldest. I've, I don't remember ever seeing my in bed, lay in bed, sick or weak or she's always been strong, you know, and you, it, it's hard to believe how strong she was, but, um, she was very strong and I, I admire her for that. And, uh, I'll never forget that how strong of a woman she was and she taught me to be strong. That's, I think that's where I got it from. Cause I'm strong and I, I don't give up. I keep fighting and I always will because that's what she showed me. She showed me you get up, you know, you might, you know, fall down, but you get back up. That's what I do. And that's what she did. Yes. I'm with you guys too. She was an incredible woman. She was an amazing woman, amazing mom, amazing grandmother, great nana, everything. And um, she uh, definitely was um, feisty. <laughs> she definitely was. Um, she used to say, with everything I've been through, I still have a sense of humor. I'm sure you remember her saying that. And she she did. She had a sense of humor. And I mean, we were all, we were all just so blessed that we had her in our lives, you know, just wish we could have had her a little longer, but um, we are the woman we are today because of her. I yeah. agree. Right. I mean, I, and I think it's important to note that that doesn't mean when you say that, like, it doesn't mean that the person was perfect. There is no such thing as perfect, but um, it means that she taught us through her strengths and her weaknesses because, you right. know, because we got to examine how she, she handled them and but I think above all yeah she was very strong and she like loved her kids yeah she would do anything she was her kids. she was every right she was everything you could everything she was a hard worker I mean she worked you know she's come home with her hands bleeding I'm sure Debbie remembers that from sweatshops and yeah. she just uh, for her children her she her children meant a lot to her and that is a true mom right there right and I believe that's why she was so strong was because she she had to be strong for her children. I believe right. that. It's true. She did a lot, including cook. 
she could definitely cook. So that leads into my next question. What would you say is your your favorite recipe that she made? I think for me, it's I'd have to say the maple chicken that she used to make on Christmas. I actually started making that myself. <laughs> um, it's like chicken, little chicken wings with maple syrup and soy sauce. She just made it. It was her own recipe. She just made it up one day and it's delicious. And then also she made up it's like a macaroni salad with like French dressing. That was one of my favorites too. And I loved like her shepherd's pie was really good too. Mine was um, her chicken and rice. And she kind of made that recipe up herself too. And she would make that every single year for my birthday because she knew I loved it. So she said, Dawn, I made you a surprise for your birthday. And, and she every year she thought it was a surprise to me, but I knew it was the chicken and rice because <laughs> she did it every year. So I was like uh, up until, you know, the last few years when she got sick. Yeah, she used to make that for me every year. And I have the recipe, which I'm very grateful for, because at least I have her recipe. So um, that's my favorite one that she used to make, because it's also a great, great memory for me. Well, I had a couple of favorites, too. Um, I know my number one favorite is her stuffing. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The stuffing was my favorite, um, is my favorite. She was Irish all the way, but you know, our dad was Portuguese and she would make, wasn't it like a combination of like a Portuguese style stuffing? Yes. She yeah. used to make a lot of Portuguese style foods for dad. And yeah. she used to laugh because she's like, I'm Irish, but I cook Portuguese. And it was, it was delicious. And um, I used to like the baked beans and I know she, she used to make the baked beans, the Portuguese style. She didn't make the sweet baked beans. She made the baked beans. They were spicy with Charisse. And um, I used to eat those with dad. And I, I think it was only me and dad that liked them because she used to say, <laughs> oh, you're the only ones that eat them. And um, I loved those too. And I also like, she used to make chicken and dumplings. Oh, yeah. Years. And that was um, good. I used to love the chicken and dumplings too. <laughs> I asked you guys to come up with your favorite moment. I know there's a lot, but if you could just pick one to talk about. I was thinking, and I... I thought of one that's funny. I don't know if you guys know this, but so um, everyone knows my favorite band is Hanson. And the, I moved away from Massachusetts to Arizona for a period of time after I graduated college. And then I went home uh, like a year later for a visit. And Hanson was having a concert in Rhode Island, which is close to where we're from. So I asked her, I said, because I was going to other shows and I always like to be in the front for their shows because I'm short. And if I, and a lot of their shows aren't seated. So you have to like stand in back of people and, and it's just hard to see, but for that Rhode Island show, it was seated. So I just asked her, I said, would you like to go with me? And as, as you guys know, she was, she didn't go out to a lot of places where you had to sit down for periods of time and just watch something. She just got antsy and she was, just wasn't that type of person. She didn't like to go to the movie theater, go sit and watch stuff. It, it, she would watch like TV at home, but as long as she knew she could get up and, 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 you know, do whatever. So she said, yes, surprisingly. And <laughs> I bought her a Hanson shirt and she wore the Hanson shirt with me. And we went to the concert and at that particular concert, they were doing a um, charity walk before it. And they were having you know, everyone meet up, all their fans, whoever wanted to go meet up and do a one mile walk around that area, the Rhode Island area. 
and it would raise money for kids in Africa. <laughs> and she also didn't like to walk too far either. So she agreed to do that with me. So we met up before the concert and we did the one mile walk and she, right before we started, like they were, the band was making a speech and, and one of them like just happened to, cause there's three guys in the band. If you don't know, they're brothers. So one of the guys, what just happened while we were waiting, starting the walk outside, he just happened to stand right next to us. And she says, oh my God, that's one of the Hansons. And I said, yeah, it is. Well, you know, it'd be cool. <laughs> um, and she, she didn't care. She, <laughs> they actually filmed this and you can kind of see it. There's a, a video they released where you can kind of see this moment and I can show you guys later, but she um, was standing there in her, her Hanson shirt and she, <laughs> she leaned over to, to one of them and she basically grabbed his face <laughs> And she like not in a forceful way. She just rubbed his face a little bit. And then she rubbed his arm and he looked at her and, you know, he knows she's older. And, you know, she said, oh, you're so handsome. <laughs> and I just like remember thinking, oh, my God, she's embarrassing me. But at the same time, it's funny. And it was just, I just thought that was so funny. And I just always remember that. And then she did the walk. And what's hilarious is there were quite a few people there and they always during every walk because they do it in every city on their tour at the time they were doing it in every city and they have people go to the front of the walk and hold up this sign basically showing you know people who would pass by what we were walking for it would say oh we're walking for charity this is what we're walking for and they picked mom and me to hold that sign on that walk out of everybody so she was holding the side with me and she was having a grand old time and laughing and, and smiling and she was loving it. And then, yeah, we went to the, the concert after and she was, I was having to, you know, singing and, and everything. And she was just like getting into it. She didn't know any of their songs, but she was still, you know, showing excitement. And I just remember that because she, that was like, a really big deal because she didn't do that a lot she didn't go out a lot and I know she did that just for me so that was definitely a memory that I feel like I'll cherish forever and I and I have our a picture with our handsome shirts on that we took after the show and and I have that video and and it's just yeah it's just something that I'll always remember and I thought was cute she did enjoy that night because she told me all about it Emma. <laughs> oh really <laughs> yes she did she really had a good time with you she really did yeah it was funny <laughs> what about you guys what's your favorite moment I want to say too only because um one this one was um when me and BJ um gave her the trip to Ireland she was it was her dream we all know Ma's dream was to go to Ireland and she was supposed to fulfill that dream with dad and she didn't she so we fulfilled it for her and the day we gave her that trip I could not she was beyond a stack I've never seen Ma so happy in in my entire life with her. Um, she was jumping and screaming and are you kidding me? You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. She kept saying that. And then uh, we took her to Ireland and we had a great time and she got to kiss her Blani stone. That was also one of the things she wanted to do. I don't know if it's 400, 600 steps, but she went as she went, uh, got out of that car and ran up those, that castle. And you had to turn corners to go up these stairs. And she ran and ran and ran and ran, got to the top, bent backwards. And the guy says, you're too short to kiss the Blani stone. 
And she said, I'm too sure I came all this way. This is my dream. For I, I'm kissing that stone. I don't care what you say. And she pushed herself back and she kissed the Blarney stone. So she was like all excited about that. So we have pictures of that too. Um, but I do want to just um, address the one uh, where me and her uh, used to go. We used to, uh, speaking of walks, Erin, we used to walk the boardwalk and um, she would call me and say, we, we going for a walk. And it was, it amazed me because she walked that boardwalk with me all the way back and forth. And that's over three miles. And she did that walk with me. And then we went and sat for coffee and we talked for hours and she would tell me the same thing she told me yesterday, but I never said a word to her. I just listened to her and we would talk and talk and talk and we'd have our coffee. And I cherished the, that moment, those moments with her. Uh, Cause I, she used to enjoy going for coffee and um, with me, I used to go quite a bit and she used to enjoy it. And I cherish that now today. She loves going out for coffee with you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Me, I gotta go. I gotta go. I'm on the phone. Like when we were on the phone, I gotta go. Don't pick me up for coffee. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. We'd have the coffee and talk, just talk for hours and hours. And it was, you know, it was a nice bonding time. And I just, I, she looked forward to it and I knew it made her happy. So I, you know, and I enjoyed it also. So it was nice. Yeah. There was a couple of times that um, one is from way back and um, then there's one closer more recent but uh I remember I remember going to Kerr Mill with Ma this was way back we would love it and um I remember Ma used to love to go and she used to she was you know a lot younger then but I used to love to go with those with Ma to those places and spend that time with Ma because when we would leave the house and it would just be us with Ma you know what I mean? It wouldn't be like everybody. Everybody didn't go. It was just like it would be either me and you or just me or just you. or You know what I mean? It wasn't like the whole family. is. So it was kind of special times that we I would look forward to like weekends we would go, you know, but th- that's way back. But then the big one, though, is when um, I was pregnant for autumn. We, I don't know, we was talking about the birth, what I had to look forward to. <laughs> so um, I used to get scared. I mean, even though she was, you know, my fourth kid, it didn't matter. I was still scared because um, I knew what I had to go through and it wasn't going to be a picnic. So um, I started getting nervous and stuff. And then I started asking my questions about, you know, when she had her babies and she used to tell me BJ was her worst birth, that BJ was the smallest baby or something, but she was the, yeah, BJ was the smallest baby, but she was the worst birth. So um, I was like, well, gee, I'm like, that didn't make me feel too good. You know, like they say the first one is the worst. And Ma used to tell me, no, the worst one is not always the first because that's when she said BJ was her worst. So I don't know how we got to this, but Ma said that she never seen a baby be born. So I said, well, if you want, you can come in the room with me. When I have autumn, you can come. And she's like, I, she's like, really? I said, yeah. She says, you would let me go in the room with you? I said, yeah, but you got to stay at the top of the bed. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> don't be at the bottom of the bed. I said, you have to be at the top. <laughs> so she's like, oh my God. Like, she was like, yeah. And I said, you want to do it? You want to go? And she says, yeah, I would love to do that. And I was like, you know how she made those expressions. I would love to do that. I never seen that before. And I was like, you never seen that before? She's like, no, never. And I said, well, you can come. I don't mind you coming. 
And she did. And she was very proud to go. She was telling everybody that she was going. And then what ended up happening when she came to the hospital, I was in labor and Tommy's girlfriend at the time, she was in labor. Our brother, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Our brother, Tommy. Yep. And um, she, um, she was having Dominic, Tommy's first born. And um, it was crazy at the hospital because we were directly across from each other in the hospital, right? The doors were just directly across. So here's Ma running back and forth to the rooms because <laughs> we were both going to have the baby and we didn't know who was going to have the baby first, but we were both literally, we had the kids minutes apart, minutes and I think Dominic was first. I'm not sure, but it was only by minutes. Because I think I said, well, good, the boy is older because the boy, you know. But um, Ma was so excited. She was running back. I, could, I am just picturing her now in my head. She'd run. She'd be in my room near my bed and she'd be, okay, okay, Debbie, push. Okay, you got to push. You got to push. And, and, then, and then I'd say, okay, I'm all right. And then you know how you get that little, you get a little break in between pushing. And she'd run. She'd I'll be right back. And she went across the hall. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't down the hall. It was like directly right across from the room. These rooms were like right across from each other where we were. And she's pushing her baby, Dominic, out. And I'm pushing Autumn out. And Ma's running back and forth, back and forth. And Ma was so excited that she never experienced that before. And she got to see Autumn be born and right there. It, she just kept talking about it and she was just saying how amazing it was and you know and 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 I just remember her just running across back and forth and she was so excited and so happy and I was just so happy to have her there you know have that her get that experience you know and um yeah I'll never forget that she was very very excited about that she was she says my Debbie's a trooper my Debbie's a trooper she kept saying <laughs> Yes, yeah, yes, was, I remember that. Did. Debbie didn't scream. She didn't. She she was a trooper. No. She was. She is yeah. strong. She, just like me. That's what she used to say. Debbie's just like me. She's she's a trooper. She was so excited. Yeah. That yeah. is a great great memory to have, Deb. Complete opposite of Dad, who ran out of the room when I was about to be born. <laughs> they actually told him he could stay. And he, and uh, he they asked him it. if he went to, he, they asked him if he went to classes. He said, no, no, I didn't. And they're like, well, the baby's going to be born like right now. So you can stay. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, no, he couldn't handle none of that. No. Nope. I am like him in that way too, where I, if I see like one of my blood's getting taken out, if I see the blood, I, I pass out. I'm not good at that yeah. stuff at all. <laughs> all right. Thank you for sharing those. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so I have one last question for you guys, and it's sort of related to a last question I ask every guest. But before I get to that, I thought it would be nice to read a letter that I wrote for mom. Um, Now, I wrote this letter I did in 2020, like when everyone was going crazy over the pandemic. I did what I called a a 30-day love letter challenge, and it's something I just kind of made up. Because I thought to myself, well, I think it's really interesting how, you know, we have so many people that mean a lot to us and we don't really ever tell them unless like, you know, if it's a special occasion or God forbid, if they pass away and then you're giving the eulogy. So I thought I'm going to for and and it was as a writer, it also tested my writing ability because I tend to be a perfectionist. So um, I decided to write 30 
love letters, I called them, to 30 people that made an impact in my life, whether they were family members, friends, celebrities, anyway, someone in the public eye. Um, I decided to, to write one each day for 30 days straight and not overthink it, get it done in that day whenever I had the time. And it was a challenge for myself, but it also, I kind of promoted it to hopefully inspire other people to just do their own little love letter challenge or tell people, you know, how much they mean to them before it's too late. Um, so one of the people I included was mom. And I wrote her this letter I'm about to read. Um, but I, when she passed, I kind of changed it a bit. I, I tweaked it a bit as if I was talking to her now. So I'm gonna read that version. And um, and I just am gonna dedicate that to her. And I thought it'd be a nice way to end things before we go to our last question. So this is from mom. She did get to read it. So I'm very grateful for that. And she was, she loved it and I'm glad. Okay, so I titled it, to a mother, a lasting protector. Dear mom, you are my mother, the first person I bonded with when entering this world. You took care of me and protected me as a baby. And even though I was your last of seven, including my sister who sadly died soon after her birth, you still gave me all the love you could and made sure I was never in danger, never hungry and never left out. I know some people consider this to be a mother's job anyway, but not every mother lives up to the task, and you did it while going through many hard times in your life. I know losing people we love is one of the worst things a human can go through, and you definitely had your fair share of losses, that's for sure, and I know it changed you in many ways and broke your heart into a million pieces. It's not easy knowing that we can only control so much, especially when it involves saying goodbye to those who have touched our hearts and loved us just as much as we loved them. But I want you to know that there's not only many people who love you in the afterlife, there's so many people who love you on earth too. I've heard that our souls choose the life situation, including the family that we're born into, to carry out a particular journey we're all individually supposed to take to learn and achieve things we're supposed to. I don't know for sure if that's true, but I like to think it is. That sometimes even our struggles have a deeper meaning that maybe sometimes we're put into a position we are meant to be in, not one we choose to be in. It's not always easy to try and accept that fate, especially when we're going through such difficult times, but I know those times give us the opportunity to let faith and love come in. You've been a hardworking mom for as long as I can remember. You always had a job and earned the money you got. Even after dad passed, you made sure to keep working and not give up, and it was one of the ways your strengths showed. Even if you doubted your abilities sometimes, you were very capable of standing on your own, and I know because I've seen you do it. I know you wore your heart on your sleeve most of the time, and you weren't afraid to express your feelings, even if others didn't agree or understand. Sometimes I get frustrated when I saw this, not because I didn't care, but because I wanted you to be happy. There's nothing I loved more than seeing my mom, the woman who brought me into this world and raised me, being happy and enjoying life. When you laughed and smiled, it filled my own heart with joy. And when you were sad and upset, it made me feel uneasy and lost because I knew I didn't have all the answers and I knew I couldn't bring back what or who you missed. We could have disagreed every single day, 
and I would never have gotten used to the feeling of not having things be right with my mom. It's the mother-daughter bond. When you were doing well, I was doing well. And when you were feeling down, I was feeling the same way. It wasn't a choice. It was something that just happened. And I know it's because I'm a part of you and always will be. Some of my favorite times with you are when we were on the phone and we could talk about things that we both agreed on and or could relate to, whether it was something serious or trivial. It could have been a conversation about how I was feeling hurt over someone and you felt something similar or about a favorite snack food we both loved or about how we both thought it was so sad that Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck's marriage didn't last. No matter what it was, we both connected in those moments and it brings comfort to my heart to know I could share them with you as your daughter. One of the other things I loved was when you told me old stories about before I was born or when I was very little. Things I don't know or don't remember, like the hilarious story about dad intentionally burning a hole in your hot pants, or when he and BJ and Tommy wrote on a board to announce my birth. It was also so nice to hear about how you and dad met and how you fell in love. Of course, as your youngest child, it was hard for me to picture you as a young woman sometimes. Haha. <laughs> so I like to hear about what it was like back then. It was also really nice to hear about some of the most loved members of the family who are no longer with us, like Granny, who I am too young to remember. Although we were having very different life experiences, you already had six kids and were married for many years at my age and saw many things differently, I also found that we're a lot of like in many ways too, especially as I'm getting older. I'll look in the mirror and go, oh wow, I look like my mom sometimes. Or I find myself saying a phrase you would often say to someone in conversation, and I'm truly taken aback. Like you, I'm also very stubborn when it comes to things I believe in, and I don't believe in doing something I don't like just because it's the fad and everyone else is doing it. What I've realized now that I'm in my 30s is that no matter how far away I am or how long it's been, I always need my mom. Whenever a great thing happens in my life, the first person I want to call is you. Whenever a very bad thing happens in my life, the first person I want to call is you. Whenever I'm unsure of something and need advice, the first person I want to call is you. Whenever I'm sick and feeling sorry for myself, the first person I want to call is you. You were the first person I knew when I was born, and you're the first person I still think about no matter what happens in my life. You've been there for me a lot, and you were the only one I felt I could talk to about things that had me feeling insecure, because I trusted you not to judge, and even if you didn't get something I said or did at first, you always ended up making sure I was okay in the end. I may not have always picked up the phone when I was in a confused or angry mood, but please know I always noticed when you called, and it always comforted my soul to know I had a mom who was willing to call and check up on me, because I know not everyone is that lucky. Thank you for being there for me when I was feeling lost and unsure of how to handle certain things. Thank you for being there for me when I lost my little Bailey. Thank you for being there for me when I lost friends. I'm grateful for every day that I got to talk to you and knew you were there. I will still talk to you now, even though you're in another dimension and I know you'll be there. I want you to know that even though you are not physically with us, you're in our hearts every day, and I just know that your spirit is thriving among all the other loved ones that were 
we'll all reunite with again someday. You have a whole army of kids and other loved ones who believe you mattered and still matter and love you with all of their hearts. Being far away from my family has helped me to know without a doubt that we are not connected by how close we're standing to each other. We are connected by the love we share in our hearts and our souls. Isn't it wonderful that all we have to do is think of someone we love, whether they're still on earth or not, and they're right there with us in our minds. And we're once again touched by all they meant to us and still mean to us. I think about you every day and that will always stay. I remember when I was about four or five years old and I was just starting my first year of school. We didn't really know that I had selective mutism yet because it wasn't until I didn't talk to other kids at school that it was clear something was wrong. I remember feeling absolutely petrified to walk into this new room full of people I didn't know. You had to leave because I needed to learn how to attend school on my own. But one of those first days ended up being the worst, especially when the teacher found out I wasn't going to talk out loud. One of those early days, she had the class play a game. We had to pass around a ball while sitting around a table with other classmates. And once we had the ball, we had to introduce ourselves and say our favorite color. When the ball was supposed to go to me, I was full of so much anxiety that I couldn't take it and just sat there frozen. The teacher then took my hands and forced me to pick up the ball while angrily saying, what? You think just because you don't want to talk, you're special and don't have to do it like everyone else? I was mortified and started crying. The school called you and you were right there within minutes. I ran into your arms and you were livid over the way they treated me. You stuck up for me and comforted me and took me home. We eventually found another school with a more patient and kind teacher. You protected me that day and took me out of a terrible situation and it's something I'll never forget. I needed my mom more than ever in that moment and you were there for me. These are the things I remember, the things that matter most, the things that help me to know that no matter what, there can never be another bond quite like the one between mothers and daughters. Thank you for comforting me on that day and in the many days since throughout my life. I'll always be that little girl inside the same one that was in that classroom who needs you and loves you. You're my mother and you deserve to know just how worthy and beautiful you were and still are inside and out. Please give dad, little Bailey, and the rest of our loved ones on the other side a big hug and kiss for me. Make sure to look for Elvis too. Maybe he can serenade you in all your heavenly glory. And please know that I will still come to you always when I need comfort and love. I know you'll be listening. And I know you'll be there. I love you always. Your tea boodle, Aaron. That was beautiful, Evan. You got me crying, Evan. <laughs> me too. That's... Thank you for listening to that and for getting through it with me. So that leads me into my final question. And I have this final question I ask all my guests that I interview on every episode. And it, it comes from the social anxiety disorder selective mutism um, that I suffered from as a kid and as a teen. Um, I don't know if people know, but in selective mutism, you, you have massive anxiety about talking out loud to certain people, especially people you don't know. So I usually ask, you know, if you could say one more thing out loud once more for the rest of your life, what would it be to kind of, you know, stress the importance of a voice? So I kind of tweaked it a bit for you guys for this last question in our Mother's Day episode. So I'm going to ask you, if you could say 
one more sentence or phrase to mom one more time, what would it be? I would tell her how much I love her and I miss her. And I'll always talk to her. And I know, like you said, she'll, she'll be there for me. She'll help me through all my hard times. And I believe she's going to help me through this. Ma, I wish I could give you a hug, but I wish I could hug you, Ma. I really do. I love you, Ma, so much with all my heart. And I want you to know that I'm going to take care of my siblings and I make you proud. And I just wish I had more time with you, Ma. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for being here and for, for doing this. I know it's hard for all of us, but it's also kind of helpful, if that makes sense. Um, I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to my mom. And I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to you, Debbie and Dong. And, um, and our sister, BJ, who's not here, but happy Mother's Day to her and just to all the moms out there. And thank you guys for being here. I love you guys. And I'm so grateful that I have big sisters, especially at this time in my life. And I appreciated you guys before, but <laughs> now I really appreciate you guys since, you know, I'm not a mother yet and I don't have my you know own family yet so it's you guys are like my lifeline so thank you so much thank you Aaron I'm lucky to have you for a baby sister <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you Aaron we love you we love you so much too and you'll we'll always be here for you we I told you that I mean that from the bottom of my heart and I do want to say happy Mother's Day to mom yeah. I love you mom happy Mother's Day mom love you Happy Mother's Day, everybody listening. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, and as always, I end every episode with a relative quote. And this quote is by the author Cheryl Strayed. Cheryl um, wrote a book called Wild about how she, she actually hiked on the Pacific Crest Trail um, after her mom's passing of cancer. And she took her mom's passing very, very, very hard. And she put all her emotion through this hiking journey for months. And she wrote a book about it and it became one of the best-selling books out there. It was like a number one bestseller. And this quote is from her um, and it's about mothers. And she wrote this on her Instagram page on Mother's Day. And it was a message to all of her followers. There are so many kinds of mothers. The mothers you cherish and celebrate the mothers who were never really there, the mothers who broke you, who built you, the mothers who cheered you on, who chipped away at you until you were dust, the mothers who reveled in your astonishing intelligence and grace and power, who saw only their own light, the mothers who died painfully young, the mothers who lived so long you felt yourself disintegrating within, with them, petal by wilted petal, the mothers who shined, who dimmed, who did their best, who disappointed, who redeemed themselves, who accepted your redemption, who zigged and zagged, the mothers who were a beacon, the mothers you never knew, the mothers who sewed themselves into the quilt you became, the mothers who couldn't bear to tell the truth, the mothers who were brave, the mothers who didn't know who they were without you, who never saw you no matter how wildly you waved, the mothers who grieved you, who believed in you, the mothers you call, the mothers you no longer speak to, the mothers you take for granted or treasure, the dead mothers, 
the mothers you have to search for and carry, the mothers you find in people who are not your mother, the mothers like a limb, the mothers like a mirror, the mothers like a flame, the mothers you wish, the mothers you love, the mothers you ache, the mothers you echo, the mothers you wanted to be, the mothers you became. I am thinking of you. I am holding you all. Thank you guys so much for listening. Happy Mother's Day.